the moment you've all been waiting for. It's time for the Steak for Breakfast Podcast. It's Tuesday, November 14th, 2023, and this is the Steak for Breakfast Podcast, episode 291. Make sure to subscribe to the show. It's available across every downloadable podcasting platform. Find us on Apple, Spotify, iHeart, and Google Podcasts. Check out the Steak for Breakfast link tree. It'll take the show's Instagram, our latest Substack, and verified accounts on Twitter, Getter, and Truth Social. What's up, everybody? And we've got a big Tuesday edition of the show today. I'm Ro. Noah's here. Yo! We've got a great slate of guests coming in here. We'll be sitting down with Congressman Tom Tiffany and Congressman Mike Collins. We'll have Senior Advisor to the Carrie Lake Campaign, Caroline Wren, joining us for the first time. And we'll also be sitting down for the first time with Nevada U.S. Representative Candidate, Elizabeth Helgeline. She'll be joining us to tell us all about her campaign. Lots of breaking news. Has chaos returned to Capitol Hill? I'm yes. not sure. But at least the Republicans are showing a little fight in the House and Senate. President Trump held a massive rally in Claremont, New Hampshire this weekend. We've got all the highlights, and we'll round out the show with a little Beltway Roundup. But before we get to any of our headlines, let's take it over to the nation's capital and change the way you consume your news. Smokey, this is not NOM. This is bowling. There are rules. Today, Junior! America! All right, welcome to the Steak for Breakfast podcast, everybody. I'm Ron Noah's here. Yo. If you're a first-time listener, welcome to the show. If you're a long-time listener, welcome back to America's fastest-growing political podcast. And today we're getting things started up on Capitol Hill. We're sitting down with the congressman who's representing Wisconsin 7. Always great to be able to talk to Mr. Tom Tiffany. Congressman, welcome back to the show. Gentlemen, it's good to be back with you. Well... I wish we could have some good things to talk about for once. And I'm sure you guys are working on some great things up there. You know, seeing the appropriations process going through, obviously the subpoenas coming out for members of the Biden family and stuff like that are are definitely positives we talk about on the show. But the first thing I want to start off with last night is the failed resolution on the floor to impeach Alejandro Mayorkas. I know you were obviously a yes vote, Congressman, but, you know, as you saw this thing shake down, what can you tell our listenership about the disappointment that we're feeling today on Tuesday? Yeah, uh, so disappointing. Uh, so a couple of the members that voted against it on the Republican side, so of course all Democrats voted against it, uh, which they always um, uh, do things en masse, right? But uh, a couple of the members that voted against it, they said, hey, we have to do this the correct way. And so fair enough. But Alejandro Mayorkas deserves to be impeached. I mean, when you have the Border Patrol, uh, the head of Border Patrol saying that the border is not secure and he lies before Congress and says, yes, the border is secure. I mean, and, you know, I think about uh, H.R. 2, the immigration bill that we passed, best secure the border bill ever passed through a House of Congress. I worked on and authored the immigration parole side of it. Immigration parole is supposed to be one by one. Let's say you have a kid in uh, Africa that needs a life-changing, um, life-saving uh, medical procedure. They can come in and they can get that designation by the head of the Homeland Security. Well, he's just been using it. Um, he's just been bringing in groups of people like the Afghans that came in, nearly 80,000 of them. I mean, most of those people are coming in via parole. So you have all those things in the backdrop. Um, I, I voted for impeachment. I believe he should be impeached. He's been breaking the law. He's lost the, uh, the faith and trust, I believe, of the American people. Undoubtedly. And then when you see some of your you know, constituents, uh, you know, the way they're feeling today. What do you, what did, what do you have to say to go back behind closed doors as this article of impeachment now goes back to committee now and kind of urge your congressional counterparts to 
to figure out what in the fine print they need to have in there uh, before this can come to the House floor and pass. Yeah, I actually thought the resolution by Representative Green was written pretty well. And um, so let's take it to committee and let's have the debate and vote there. I'm, you know, if that's what we got to do, let's do it. Yeah. Now, I want to move on and talk about the appropriations process. We have seen some bills get completed under Speaker Mike Johnson in just a few short weeks where, you know, former Speaker McCarthy had a difficult time finishing four of them in the nearly seven months that he had as uh, wielding the speaker gavel. As you talk about this appropriation process and heading into the week where the first continuing resolution under Mike Johnson is set to expire, what can you tell our listenership or give any update on that? You know, as we speak right here, um, we're going to be voting on another continuing resolution. You know, what is the two-step process that um, Speaker Johnson has embraced in order to get these appropriations bills done and then... um, uh, have them go to the Senate. Remember, we've been getting most of them done here in the House of Representatives, including um, in spite of the three-week interlude we had to get a new speaker. Uh, the Senate has been doing very little in that regard. So from that standpoint, you know, I think it's aspirational on the part of the speaker at this point. Um, he, he wants to be able to uh, allow the Senate to be able to get their appropriations bills done. And then let's go to conference committee and let's get this done the right way. Because remember, that's what this has been all about all along is that let's follow the process that we're supposed to in budgeting where each appropriations bill gets voted on. If there's a difference between the two houses, you conference and you come up with a bill, you send it to the president. Hopefully that is what will happen here. I'm uh, I'm going to have a hard time voting for this one, though, because it doesn't have any reductions in it. And I'm not seeing any policy changes that are wins for the American people in limited government. I saw Congressman Matt Gates was on CNN last night. He alluded to the same kind of stipulations in that. But when you talk about putting one last Band-Aid possibly uh, on this process right now and getting through the appropriations, do you think the ends will justify the means if we hit the ground running in January and all of a sudden you're sending up the full slate of appropriations bills up to the Senate? Yeah, you know, that's certainly the hope that we're going to be able to do that here over the next month and a half. Let's get them done. In fact, for us in the House, Let's get them done in the next few weeks. I mean, right after Thanksgiving, you know, let's get these uh, let's get these uh, budget bills done, and let's move on to the next stuff because we've got some really important stuff coming up yet. Uh, you know, including FISA, the reauthorization of FISA. Yeah, I don't know if you saw it this week. Uh, Senator Warner out of uh, Virginia wants to revive the Restrict Act. I think that should be something that's at least down in the alarms and committee for a lot of people in, in the House who you know work to kill this bill last time it was brought up. When you hear things like that and know, Congressman, that we're heading into a general election cycle and things like the Restrict Act could probably do a lot of harm on the Republican side as far as social media repression and things like that. Is it alarming to you to see the Democrats are trying to revive something like that? Uh, it's alarming, but it's not surprising. Sure. I mean, they will do anything in order to be able to win. I mean, I mean, they will do anything in order to win. So, you know, that's just how they operate. And uh, that's why we need to be vigilant. And it is the reason why the state parties and the national party has to be so vigilant here twenty through 2024 and really be aggressive about making sure that our uh, candidates are not hamstrung in any way. Because I can tell you, you know, as much as, you know, People see the headlines of some of the infighting amongst Republicans, stuff like that. And there's certainly we have our differences of opinion, all that good stuff. 
Democrats got big problems. And their biggest problem right now is what happened with Hamas and in the Middle East. I mean, it is barbaric what happened over there. And yet you have a significant slice of the Democrat Party elected officials in the House of Representatives who are, in effect, taking the side of Hamas at this point. And boy, if that doesn't scare the hell out of America, I just don't know what will. Yeah, you make a really good point there. And and to see the way the Democrats have acted and not only response from the October 7th attack, it's the way that they've conducted themselves in the halls of Congress and even on the House floor in the face of censorship, as was the case with Representative Tlaib uh, just over a week ago. Congressman, I saw you do uh, some really good commentary at, at the end of last week on the recent flurry of subpoenas that have come out at, on, you know, Jamie Comer's behalf, issuing ones for, you know, nearly two dozen members of the Joe Biden's associates, including his brother Jim and, and son Hunter Biden. As, as the American public is watching the oversight and uh, impeachment inquiry committee work their way through this, do you think that we're doing the right thing, playing the long game right now and not just rushing through an, an impeachment process a la Nancy Pelosi did twice throughout the course of Donald Trump's presidency? Or, you know, do you think that it's time to maybe step on the gas a little bit and uh, get this thing rolling? I do believe that we've done the right thing, you guys. And, uh, you know, uh, the one commitment I've made to my constituents, and I've told many of them this at town hall meetings, things like that, that I will not be a Democrat. I will not be Adam Schiff. I will not be Nancy Pelosi, where it's ready, fire, aim in regards to impeachment. You have to build the case. Because what they did now is the case they made is now illegitimate. The American people understand what Nancy Pelosi did, along with Schiff and others. They did the wrong thing. And while it served their short-term purposes, it's not going to stand the test of time. I want this to stand the test of time. And it is happening that way, where we continue to put more and more information out there. You know, you think about the 20 phone calls. You think about the 20 shell companies, the $20 million that went through the shell companies. We are laying this out. Um, we are laying this out for the American people to see, because ultimately you have to bring the American people along. No, that, that's a great point. You know, we, we stress to our listenership on a biweekly basis here, at least that it's hard for Republicans to play the long game sometimes because Democrats have been, you know, so comfortable in being in control for so long and to see the way that things are playing out. I think we're in a good space right now regarding getting a lot of those testimonies and, and depositions for the Biden family associates and, and family members that, you know, you guys are, I think you guys are doing things the right way and, and we need to kind of stay on this path and not just rush it through because then it just looks like revenge. And that's not the case here. If there was high crimes and misdemeanors, then you guys are going to find them and point them out. And even though the evidence at times looks overwhelming to the American public, there is a legal process that has to survive, you know, votes in the house and Senate before Joe Biden is ever impeached. And I just, you know, think you guys are doing a great job regarding that. I do want to circle back and touch on a couple of things border related before we cut with you, Congressman. I know that you recently introduced the Trash Border Act to prevent the environmental damage of illegals who litter on the borderlands. Now, this could seem in the big scheme of things like something not as important as the amount of people that come in or what their impact is on major cities all over the United States. But when you look at the decades long destruction that's been caused down the U.S. southern border, this is a pretty big deal. So 10 pounds of what was it like? 
It's like six to eight pounds of trash for every um, illegal immigrant that comes into this country. So if you have nearly 10 million, you've got $80 million of trash that has come into this country and some of it deadly if it's um, if it if it has uh, residues of fentanyl or stuff like that on it. And uh, but what it speaks to is uh, how illegal immigration is harming the country as a whole. And the question I ask is, where's Sierra Club? Where's the National Resources Defense Council? Where are all those environmentalists that are out there that are supposed to be protecting the environment, especially when 40% of the land down on the southern border is federal lands, including some of it national parks. It's being trashed. Where are those people? But it's an important message to the American people. It's not just fentanyl. It's not just terrorism. It's not just the human trafficking. They're also trashing your country. It's wild. You know, we saw that one island that a lot of uh, the cartel members used to stage human smuggling on down the southern border. It's been highlighted on the news a lot for the last couple of weeks. And just to prevent them taking pot shots at Border Patrol agents and DPS, uh, for them having provided with cover as they come in and, and run drugs and people into the country, they had to level the entire island. I don't think people understand that that's land and, and that's environmental impact that we're never getting back. And it's really important to have members of Congress in their fight to secure the border, working along, you know, making it environmentally sound again as well. And then last thing I want to touch with you on, Congressman, Joe Biden is telling banks not to reject illegal alien loan applications. Is this true? And what, do you, what are you guys doing to look into this? This is crazy. We just sent a letter off asking about this issue. And um, but yes, it's true. The Biden administration is saying that you banks out there, you do not decline a loan as a result of somebody's immigration status, which is just crazy. I mean, think about a bank and if they uh, are forced to do a loan like that, and let's say the next administration says, you know what, some of these people that are criminals and others, that they should not be in our country, and they get returned to their country, if they've been forced to, if a bank has been forced to give that person a loan, how are they going to get that money back? I mean, just on so many different levels, it's just crazy. But it shows, just like the Trash Act in regards to illegal immigration, where we highlight how much trash is being spread across the border. Now you got this with illegal immigration also. This is the transformation of America. This is what Barack Obama and Joe Biden said in 2008 and 2009. They want to transform America, and this is just another little piece of it. Yeah, it's, it's wild to see. I mean, most of these people that come in, they have no permanent address. They have no status legally in the United States. And a lot of them give fake biographical data. And, and now they're applying for loans that Joe Biden's telling banks, you can't deny them loans. It's like you're giving money to fake people, fake aliases and stuff like that. It's just wild. Well, Congressman, we're going to be live linking your congressional website in the show description today. But for anybody that wants to continue to uh, follow you and check out all the great work you're doing, where can they find you? Yeah, go to at Rep Tiffany. Uh, check us out there. We're always on. Uh, we've always got good stuff up. And, you know, the other thing that we try to do, you guys, is we try to offer solutions to these problems we have because the American people know what the problems are. We do have solutions to it. Secure the border. Stop the unnecessary spending. Let's get back to energy independence. And America will be a lot better place to live and work in. Oh, absolutely right there. And uh, we'll be looking to sit down with you again soon, Congressman. He's representing Wisconsin 7, but doing a lot of work for the American people. This is Representative Tom Tiffany. Thanks for joining us on the show and getting things started today.
Good to join you guys for breakfast. Secretary of Homeland Security, Mayorkas. Um, Congresswoman Marjorie Taylor Greene has introduced a resolution to have him impeached. She did it as well, and I think in May. Um, is he going? Is he going to stay in his job? Do you think? We'll see. I mean, I have been on record many times. I served on the House Judiciary Committee. We have oversight over his department. He's been in front of me under oath on multiple occasions. I've been very clear with him. I told him the last time he was before us, which is probably two or three months ago, that I said, I'm not actually sure what you do at the Department of Homeland Security other than great harm. I believe he's done it since the day he walked in the door. And, and I believe those probably are impeachable offenses. Um, there's a deliberate process. There's a, a due process that, goes, process that goes along with this. Um, next to a declaration of war, impeachment is arguably one of the heaviest powers that the House has. And so we have to do it in the right manner. But um, the, the evidence that's built up against Mayorkas is so complete. I think he's probably one of the worst cabinet secretaries on the evidence, objectively speaking, in the history of the country. Um, he's opened the border by intentional policy decisions and all the terrible societal ills that come from that. So um, our, our Homeland Security Committee has done a very deliberate, drawn out process, building the record, building the evidence. It is a five phase process. They're in the fifth phase right now. And so it, we'll have to figure out how all this fits into the sequence. But um, I understand the angst of our members. I, I share it myself and the American people really want something done on that border. President Biden, he might he it looks like the candidate in, in 2024. When you were uh, a name speaker, a lot of people said, oh, Trump ally, Trump, big Trump guy, big Trump ally. But uh, you, you as far as I know, you have not endorsed the former president yet. Uh, for 2024, and this is, everybody's watching this show right now. This, if you're gonna do that, this would be a great great time to do it, uh, uh, Mr. Speaker, you ready? I, ha I have done it, it yeah, I, I have. I have endorsed him wholeheartedly. Um, look, I was uh, one of the closest allies that President Trump had in Congress. He had a phenomenal first term. Those first two years, as you all know, we brought about the greatest economic numbers in the history of the world, not just the country, because his policies worked. And I'm, I'm all in for President Trump. I, okay, yeah, I, know, I right. expect he'll be our nominee. Yeah. And, and he's going to win it. And we have to make Biden a one term president. We have to do that. All right. Jumping into the news portion of our show today, this big Tuesday edition of the Steak for Breakfast podcast. I'm Rowan Noah's here. Yep. So Mike Johnson, it seemed, you know, last week we were reporting that the honeymoon phase is apparently over and uh, MAGA Mike has to be get back to work Mike now as we're moving through the appropriations process and we have a continuing resolution that's going to expire on the 17th of November. That's this Friday. No, how does that make you feel? Well, I don't know if we're going to get something bounced back into play soon enough. Are we going to do another continuing resolution? I just hope we don't get stuck with some bullshit omnibus. Yeah, it was good getting a little bit of insight from Representative Tiffany to start the show today. That first audio clip you heard from Speaker Johnson alluded to the fact, you know, I think in a prior life or maybe in an alternate universe that we kind of touch on every week on the show here, Mike Johnson might have been a tactics instructor. Yeah. Because when, you know, there's one slam dunk in the Biden regime, and that would be the impeachment of Alejandro Mayorkas. Not so fast, my friends. H.R., 683 failed on the House floor last night when eight Republicans voted to side with the Democrats and not impeach Alejandro Mayorkas. No, how does that make you feel? Yeah, that's irritating. That actually really irritates me a lot. If anybody needs to get fucking impeached, that guy is a number one. I think Biden's a, wa a waste of time impeaching because we should just wait for him to get out of office and then hit him. Some of, uh, I guess you could call him America's finest. If we had a fart noise, you'd be inserting it here. We have a garrison button for that, though. Oh, 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 oh. Scissor me, timbers. Ken Buck, 
Daryl Issa, Tom McClintock, Patrick McHenry, John Duarte, Virginia Fox, Cliff Bentz, and Mike Turner were all of the Republicans who voted with the Dems to not impeach Alejandro Mayorkas. Interesting enough, there was 11 who didn't vote, um, some who even weren't present. Those who weren't present were Banks, Mooney, great friend of the show, Salazar, and Nancy Mace, but we also had Buchanan, Buxton, Crenshaw, Zeal, Pence, Judas's brother, mm. Fallon, and Williams of Texas. So interesting to watch how this kind of played out and going to be even more interesting to see where it goes from here. If you can't impeach the most impeachable person in the Biden regime, because you already got the receipts, I guess we could touch on those new uh, CBP numbers that came out. But what what potential benefit is there for not impeaching this asshole? That's the thing. You know, there's there's a bunch of people who sit on the uh, who didn't who voted with the Dems, right? Yeah. One, one of the guys sits on the Labor Committee. One of the guys sits on like budgetary financial appropriations, and it seems like all of those businesses who like the pay for play cheap labor uh, did not side with Republicans to vote with the majority and uh, get Alejandro Mayorkas out of there. So are they protecting their special interests? By protecting the cheap labor that's coming across the U.S. border. Well, that sounds about right. Interesting to look at. This morning, I saw uh, on X, new CBP data came out. Pretty weird. It's not a Friday, and we're not going into a weekend where Joe Biden created a disaster. Even They just decided to release the numbers anyway. 240,988 illegal border crossings in just October. 13 terrorists or those to be confirmed on the terror watch list, were apprehended as well. Hmm. can only imagine how many of them got away. Lucky 13. And now CBP is reporting that a total of 8.3 million illegal crossings have happened since Joe Biden took office. That is not including getaways. That puts the number now well over 10 million. So pretty alarming to see that going on. And, uh, you know, when you want to talk about border security, I guess it starts and ends with the man who's currently heading the agency responsible for it, or lack thereof. And House Republicans couldn't figure out a way to get him to the impeachment process last night. So back to ground zero. You know, Daryl Issa sits on the Homeland Security Committee, and he's one of the not only richest, but owned by big tech congressmen up there on Capitol Hill. And the way I kind of seen this went down, and those aligned with Daryl Issa, some California representatives, a couple of the squishes as well, it looks like he didn't get the articles of impeachment. Remember, this is a Marjorie Taylor Greene-sponsored bill. He didn't get what he wanted in this or the way it was worded. So he was going to pull Kevin McCarthy and pout about it and force it back to committee, which is where the articles go now to get reworked. Mm. So a lot of people better be calling his office. I sure as hell did last night. Nice. What'd you say? Stop it. Yeah. Mm -hmm. We just call and leave a message to the garrison button. That would be funny. (laughs) I should have asked him about his extended warranty as well. You want to do it live on air? Mm, That'd be great. (laughs) But, you know, that's just the the start of things. I saw Andy Biggs put out a statement, the Arizona congressman, great friend of the show here, following the non-impeachment vote. I'm going to read it here. I am appalled by tonight's decision to refer a motion to impeach Department of Homeland Security Secretary Alejandro Mayorkas to committee. This House leadership ploy kills any chance of impeaching Secretary Mayorkas at this point. I was the first member of Congress to file articles of impeachment against Secretary Mayorkas in 2021, as he is in dereliction of his constitutional duties and is a danger to the American people. I remain hopeful that at least my Republican colleagues would join in these efforts. Tonight, they sided with Democrats to protect Mayorkas and instead of the American people, which disappoints me. 
Again, I'm disappointed in the results, but would continue to fight for American people and ensure that America's sovereignty remains intact. Andy Biggs. Mike Collins also put out a heater in the form of a meme. And uh, it was two guys. One guy was shooting another guy. The guy who was getting shot was Republicans who vote to impeach Mayorkas. Mm -hmm. And the guy shooting was Republicans who defend Mayorkas, Biden, and Kamala Harris. Mm. Yeah. We all saw what happened with the FBI headquarters. You know, 70 Republicans sided with Democrats to award them that headquarters last week. And we asked. Yeah, that's not pay for play. Well, Congresswoman Sparks, do you think a lot of the squish Republicans just vote? On stuff like that, like funding a new FBI headquarters because they're scared the FBI is going to start investigating them like they, you know, are uh, Senator Menendez or Mayor Adams or Donald Trump. And she's like, yeah, there's probably a little bit of the fear factor that goes into their votes. So interesting to see how this all plays out. I know I mentioned it at the top two. We're also sitting on the last four days of this continuing resolution band-aid before we run into having to vote on another to keep the government open. If they do not come to a reasonable conclusion by Friday, the government shuts down at the end of the business day. So it was pretty interesting to see how things were shaping up on Capitol Hill today. And then uh, apparently UFC 292 carried over to Capitol Hill this morning because (laughs) Kevin McCarthy walked out of house committee and pushed Tim Burchett in front of a whole bunch of reporters and they got into a shoving match. And then like, how hard did you push him? I mean, McCarthy seems a little soft handed. Well, yeah, just a (laughs) Just imagine two nerds <laughs> fighting over which anime character is better. Yeah. Timbershed's pretty uh, hardcore, though. I did get his contact information, so get ready for him to be appearing on Steak for Breakfast at some time in the extremely near future. And then in, in Senate committee today, I saw the Oklahoma senator, Mark Wayne Mullen. You know, there had been some back and forths both in the media and I guess through private correspondence between the Teamsters boss, Sean O'Brien, and Senator Mullins. And today, when Senator Mullins got his five minutes to question the Teamsters boss, he stood up and asked him if the threatening letter that the Teamster boss had sent him was genuine. And if it was, he'd like to handle that right there on the Senate committee floor. Took off his wedding ring, took off his watch before he was gaveled to sit back down. (laughs) I like it. I like it. Let's do it. It's like those other uh, foreign countries or their parliaments or whatever, and their people are like on the fucking tables, like fighting each other. Do you want to know what the better part about this is? That some of our listenership, especially those who don't partake in, in things like mixed martial arts, might not know. Oklahoma Senator Mark Wayne Mullins is a former UFC fighter. Oop. So that would have got ugly real oh, fast. Oh, that would have been amazing. You, you would have like the Irish mafioso version of the Teamsters leader versus like literally an Irish professional fighter. That yeah, I mean, that might be another pay per view to cure world hunger, mm. or at least you know take a dent out of it. Hey, listen, we need undercards. Right there, you go. Oh yeah. So and wait, so who in Congress is going to be the the ringside girl though? Well, <laughs> you know I've been emailing back and forth with Anthony, so I'm not going to say it. We'll, oh. we'll pass the buck. Yeah. There's there's a lot of Nancy May sympathizers out there. A lot really? of yeah, I don't know. The milk truck arrives in her comment section all the time. Really? Yeah. But getting back to this continuing resolution, it's going to be tough because, you know, what's going on with Speaker Johnson right now is there's a lot of people that are just assuming that he's going to have to bend the knee to the Democrats, which has been the case for the last few decades as far as budget stuff goes. And 
when you look at where they want to go and things that Speaker Johnson is trying to coordinate around, he, he's just not in a good situation. Yes, we are running into the end of the calendar year for the federal government. Yes, they were able to pass this continuing resolution right after the speakership battle. But it was before Mike Johnson took over, and now he's kind of inherited this mess to where he almost has to make a promise that not a lot of people know or aren't really sold on him keeping, and that's finishing the appropriations process to the point to where they can get through the Senate or pass this CR on Friday and allow the Democrats to craft their usual omnibus and then force that on House Republicans. So, you know, there's there's been a lot of back and forth going on in the House right now, and, and a lot of people pissed off about it as well. But here's the thing. We're going to have to see just where this goes because, I don't know, I, I feel like on the heels of the failed Mayorkas vote and the Trump endorsement, you know, Mike Johnson keeps going like plus one, ground zero, negative one, ground zero. I think he's back at ground zero again. But I've been jumping in a couple of Twitter spaces over the course of the last few days. People are getting sick and tired of it, and people are fed up, and they honestly have a case. Mm-hmm. One of the things that hasn't been addressed yet either, which was only one of the two things apparently Mike Johnson campaigned on, no omnibuses, and releasing the January 6th tapes, that's really starting to piss a lot of people off. I, I think we need to realize there's a lot more stuff going on that needs to be addressed other than releasing the January 6th tapes. I don't know how easy of a process it is to, like, go to wherever they're being held or file with whatever agency overseas they're keeping saying we're releasing all of these to the public. But he needs to get on it and get on it fast because I know it's starting to piss off a lot of people. I just... It used to be like secure the border, secure the border, secure the border, and every congressman and woman's comments after anything they post. Now people are starting to realize that HR2 was passed. I think Mike Johnson's done a good job of reiterating that. They're going to have to find constructive ways to get border security into, you know, either the appropriations process or foreign aid that Joe Biden wants to get out. But now we've circled back to the January 6th tape as every single comment and every single congressperson's comment sections on social media. So... You know, we watch this thing for a living, and uh, that's kind of what I see heating up again. So I saw yesterday, going back to the CR, some commentary on social media. I'm going to read some of it right now. This one's from an account that has their eyes pretty focused up on Capitol Hill. Mike Johnson in his first shutdown fight moves to circumvent headliners threatening to bring down the rule for his stopgap. Instead, the bill will be considered under suspension of rules, which will require a two-thirds majority vote and some Democrat support. It's pretty funny that Kevin McCarthy was ousted for something similar to this as part of his motion to vacate. And reading between the lines, what that basically means is the reason that they voted on the rule yesterday was to keep it from coming to the House floor. They don't want to have to deliberate over it because we have a finite amount of time before Friday. If they can get behind closed doors, the rule is suspended, then the vote for the CR. Essentially, it would fuck us because it guarantees us but at the same time puts that Band-Aid to get us through the holidays, which I think Speaker Johnson wants to do. This falls back on Congress's hands that this is 100% their fault. They should have planned it and tracked it a little better. They should have assumed that they weren't just going to roll through. Well, they had all the time in the world to have all this shit done, and they did nothing, just like they always do. It's just part of what they do. But I think since Mike Johnson has come in, we've, we have seen a lot more work get done. So we have to give credit where credit is due. It's just that you run up against these deadlines now. 
and you'll see it this week, everyone that watches the news, listen to everybody talk about and be experts on continuing resolutions and omnibuses. When this has been going on, the entirety of the time Congress has been in session since last January, but everyone's going to be a, you know, a continuing resolution or omnibus expert. And we're going to ignore things like what's going on in Israel, what's going on in Ukraine, what's going on on the border, how bad the economy's getting. And we, we just have to keep in a perspective. You have to be able to do more than one thing at once and keep your eyes in, in multiple locations at the same time as well. Matt Gage jumped on CNN last night to talk about what's going on with the continuing resolution, whether or not he supports it. Let's check it out. That continues the policies, in your words, of Nancy Pelosi and Joe Biden. Why would that not cost him his job? As I said before you played that clip, it's all a function of time. You see, Mike Johnson and Kevin McCarthy both promised us a path to single-subject spending bills. In seven months of Kevin McCarthy being Speaker, he only delivered one of them. If Mike Johnson is only able to deliver, uh, you know, one of them over seven months, then he would likely well, face Mike a motion Johnson to vacate too. But he's done far 70, better than that. He's asking for seventy-five days at current spending levels. You said that was continuing the spending levels and governing by CR, you said, was a deal breaker for McCarthy. And on top of that, well, right. we're well, learning but, but Abby, tonight Abby, that Abby, you're not hearing me. Yeah. Hold on. You're not hearing me, though. If McCarthy had endeavored upon those single subject spending bills for the seven months he had been speaker, he would not have faced a motion to vacate. It's that he pushed us back up against the wall and tried to leverage shutdown politics to get us to do what the lobbyists and special interests in the swamp always want to do, and that is avoid itemized review. There it Mike is. Johnson is is working to get us in a posture to be able to do the very work that I've been calling I guess for. So it's, I, it's I, not I hear comparable. what you're saying, but I, it sounds to me like you're talking about just some procedural issues and i think you would want it's seven months like, I, I guess well, here's you don't I'm, see the, dif well, the distinction let me, let me just say congressman i mean you've you've been on the show you want to talk about mm -hmm. the policy here right which is mm -hmm. the level of spending that the government is doing at the end of the day mccarthy was going to give you what you wanted which was to take up these individual spending bills you kicked him out of his job because of a procedural thing which is the same procedural no. thing that mike johnson is doing right now no. and Mike Johnson is also going to be relying on Democrats in order to pass the rule to get this onto the floor. Why well, is, are, you not hold, why are you holding him to a different standard? No, I'm not. Again, if we are seven months into the Mike Johnson speakership and we've only moved you know, a single subject spending bill, then Mike Johnson would likely face a similar fate. But in Mike Johnson's first week as speaker, he was moving bill after bill. So he has shown a commitment and a sincerity in this process that was totally absent under Kevin McCarthy. And, and the distinction is easily explainable when you look at the amount of time each has had. I think Mike Johnson deserves the opportunity to have some runway to execute his vision. Now, I'm not going to join in any vision that's a continuing resolution at current policies and current spending levels, but I don't think it warrants an ouster unless that is a theory of governance that predominates over some term of months. Sounds pretty reasonable to me. What do you think, Noah? Yeah, I mean, if anything Matt Gates ever says is unreasonable, I'd be very surprised because he's pretty level-headed and just really wants what's best for the country. And that's the thing. It's like you're talking about seven-plus months compared to three-and-a-half weeks. And... The one thing, I want to remind everybody this, I hate throwing all the good congressmen and women who come on this show under the bus and the ones who still don't but will eventually in the future. She pointed out the 75 days. Let me just give you the details on that. It's the holidays. They don't want to work. Yeah. They don't want to work Thanksgiving week. They don't want to work directly after Thanksgiving. 
Obviously, the time around Christmas is the exact same thing or whatever religious denomination your family celebrates. They don't want to work around then. Then you have New Year's. That's why this thing is is looking to go from November 17th up through January 3rd because it kind of gives them the opportunity to, when it's not the immediate holiday time, be in D.C., be in committee, working on these appropriations. And when it's time for the holidays, it's not. If this was in the middle of the summer or the spring or during that six-week congressional recess, there wouldn't be a 75-day one. They'd be working on a 10-day, 20-day, 30-day, 50-day, maybe at most, to finish out this appropriation process. But the fact of the matter is they're going to try and put a bow on it, much like Santa does, because it's the holiday season. And an overwhelming majority of them don't want to be up in Washington, D.C. There's ones that will go out and say that they will or they would be, and there's some that probably will. But... You just have to take into context what time of the year it is and then know that they're going to try and frame this the best way they can. We will get the maximum amount of work done as time permits around the holidays. The around the holidays part is what they won't say out loud. Mm. Matt Gates followed up that interview with a post on Twitter last night. So much more to do as we can see. Speaker Johnson won't make all of our dreams come true, as we can also see as well. But he showed the swamp doesn't win every battle. And we have to be... And now we have a better chance for more victories to come. I just think that, uh, you know, you have to be a little bit optimistic on that. I do want to play a follow-up question as the two things we touched on with Speaker Johnson before we moved on was the fact that he didn't want to live CR to CR. He definitely isn't going to live by the omnibus. And then tying it into releasing the J6 tapes, Matt Gates was challenged with that narrative as well. Let's hear him kind of clap back. Before you go, Congressman, what is your red line for the current Speaker? Is there anything that he can do that would cause him to lose your confidence? He's got to release the January 6th tapes. He said that'll be coming out in tranches. I know him to be a man of his word. I expect him to do that. It was the only promise he made uh, other than uh, a desire to get back to our single subject spending bills. And uh, he's got to do that. And I think he will. Also, we already saw the subpoena go out to the to Hunter Biden and also one to Frank Biden. So I think that shows a more rigorous commitment to our oversight agenda than we ever had under Kevin McCarthy. All right, Congressman Matt Gates. thanks for joining us tonight. So I kind of ended on a high note. I can tell you all this. I know for a fact that President Trump wants those January 6th tapes released. I know some of the people very close to him working on January 6th-related stuff, whether it be defense, defense funds, support of the families, etc., are demanding that those tapes be released. If Mike Johnson is as close to President Trump as it seems... And it has the endorse of the America First men and women in Congress who often support President Trump. This is something that we should see. Maybe it'll be something to give Thanksgiving over. Maybe it'll be something tied up under the Christmas tree. Who knows? But Mike Johnson is not going to have the duration of the incoming CR to hold these January 6th tapes close to the breast anymore. They need to be released to the public. I want to remind everybody that's listening to the show today. Welcome. Hope you're enjoying it. What you should be doing, though, is following the Steak for Breakfast podcast on any major downloadable platform. Find us on Google, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and iHeartRadio. Follow the show. Make sure it's downloading to your electronic device. Helps us out in a lot of ways. Suggestions, podcast algorithms, and Apple Top 100. In addition, across social media, Twitter, Getter, True Social, and Instagram. Find Steak for Breakfast, follow the accounts, and hit the notification bell. Then you'll always know who's coming on the show, what fire memes we're sharing, when new substacks come out, etc. All right, moving on now, and the news only gets worse. I don't know if you saw this one, this absolute heater that 
found its way into the news cycle over the weekend. But what do you got? got? Hmm. Virginia Democrat Senator Mark Warner wants to revive the twice killed Restrict Act. Oh, perfect. Some people have called it the Patriot Act 2.0. Most people who actually read it consider it the Patriot Act on steroids. Noah, how does that make you feel? Yeah, let's not do that. No, we're doing it. No. He's doing it. Don't believe me? Let's hear it. And suddenly we had the extremes on both the left and the right come out against that legislation. It needs to move um, because particularly now, as you see, literally 40 percent of young people get all their news from TikTok. Mm -hmm. Um, So I hope those kind of issues will be we can get some energy behind them now coming after this summit. Uh, But this technology competition, we've had military competitors like Russia. We've never had an economy that's making the investments the way China is in these new technology domains. So Microsoft this week came out with a report that said Russia, Iran and China will interfere in the 2024 presidential race. Not they they were certain about this Um, and other close presidential races worldwide. Is your legislation going to stop something like that? I think our legislation will take on an issue like a TikTok, which is, I'm afraid, could be used as a propaganda channel for the CCP, the Communist Party of China. And my beef is with the CCP. It's not with the Chinese people or the Chinese diaspora. Um, but around artificial intelligence, we're, I think we need to be humble because, candidly, we've done nothing on any guardrails on social media and on technology writ large. The two areas where artificial intelligence could have an enormous negative effect tomorrow Mm -hmm. is interfering in our public elections, but it also could have a tool in terms of interfering in our public markets. And I've been surprised we've not seen more manipulation, for example, of stocks using AI tools. So Mm -hmm. my hope is perhaps we can get a coalition between those who favor making sure yeah. Our public markets are not interfered with, as well as those who are concerned about interference in our elections to build the kind of coalition. Because taking on big tech, yeah. I've been there for years and got a pretty much a zero record and nobody in Congress has got a good record on this. I think we need that kind of coalition because the election interference could be enormous. And- so they're coming for our data mm. and they're going to be looking to revive this in the Senate to push back hard. What if we tell them we don't have the data? Then you won't get impeached, I'll tell you that much. Mm. At least not last night. Well, I don't think anybody's trying to impeach me, but if that works, then fine. I don't have uh, have the, the data. Okay, I'm just going to put these articles of impeachment back in my briefcase. Oh, good, perfect. Do you, have, <laughs> do you have any snacks in there? I wish I did. No, but that's the thing. We have to be able to not only be calling and emailing all of our congressmen and women, especially in the House, to pressure Mike Johnson that if this thing gets a heartbeat and sent down from the Senate, it's DOA. In addition, it needs to be pushed back on publicly so hard that they don't even have the balls to send it back down to the House. Because, you know, you have everybody that comes in here talking about reviewing FISA, 702. FISA. All this bullshit. And then they want to come and get the Restrict Act and give it a heartbeat again and send it back down to the House of Representatives to get some of these squishes on the Republican side to jump on. All this does, here's what the Restrict Act does. It prevents Donald Trump from being president of the United States again. It and bolsters every single bullet point that's in that Time Magazine article. The way we save the 2020 presidential election from Donald Trump, we will get crushed on social media. Number one, that's Donald Trump's main voice. Number two, we are the amplification of that voice with all the accounts and all the hard work we do. So 
in any way, shape, or form, you need to push back on this. I actually emailed a couple House representatives yesterday, one senator, and I texted a few people that are running for – I texted Vivek's team, and I said, here's the tweet. Here's what's going on. I said, you guys get out on the, ahead of this all the time. He needs to go out on the road and start talking about they're reviving the Restrict Act. Send some stuff over to the Trump team as well. Because this isn't about who's a better candidate or who's right and wrong. This shit needs to get crushed and killed mm-hmm. in the womb. And uh, for as pro-life as we are here on Steak for Breakfast, we normally don't say stuff like that. But, you know, there's a couple Thanos references I could make that would make it sound funny. I'm just not going to use them right now. All right, we're getting ready to jump in with Mike Collins. I got one more for us, and that's from Senator Ted Cruz. He was talking about the Biden crime family yesterday morning on Maria. And even though we're going to touch on it a little bit later on the show when we do our Beltway Roundup, let's lead out of this segment with this. On the China piece, Joe Biden won't answer questions on that. So we don't have any information. And David Weiss and the Department of Justice seem desperately committed to avoiding any evidence being assembled. We do have evidence on Ukraine and in particular that 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 Joe Biden demanded the firing of the prosecutor in Ukraine that was investigating the corrupt oligarch who owns Burisma and and that he he threatened to withhold and in fact did withhold over a billion dollars in American loan guarantees until they fired that prosecutor. So when it comes to, to bribery, the essence of bribery is quid pro quo, this for that. We know that that occurred. We know Biden demand, demanded and received the firing of the prosecutor. So that much is direct evidence. We also know that, 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 that Hunter and Joe, they had over 20 shell companies. They had multiple uh, uh, bank accounts. They had multiple fake. Joe Biden personally had multiple fake email accounts, n- multiple burner phones. None of that you do if you're not trying to hide something. At this point, on its face, this appears to be a serious and elaborate money laundering scheme. And, and, and on top of all of that, we know that Joe Biden personally received at least $240,000. They did write in the memo line loan repayment, mm. but, but there's no evidence, no evidence as to what loan they're talking about. And it just conveniently happened to come from sources overseas. And that's the thing. There are a lot of people who were bitter on social media over the weekend I saw, and this is stemming from an article from The Hill, which said that their op-ed department feels like Mike Johnson doesn't have as much drive to impeach Joe Biden as maybe other people did. I know Kevin McCarthy really didn't. You know, they had to, like, beat his ass just to get the impeachment inquiry committee together. Mm-hmm. I've spoke with a lot of people especially up on Capitol Hill, and they said a couple things. Number one, if it doesn't come out of Mike Johnson's mouth, he didn't say it. Number two, they just subpoenaed like 25 people from the Biden crime family, including Hunter and Jim Biden. Why would Mike Johnson come out and say, I haven't seen an impeachable offense committed by Joe Biden when he's done so for the last three years, and they haven't even gotten one deposition from any of these people that they've subpoenaed yet? How about we just take a breath and let the legal process play out? Nobody wants to hear that, but here's the deal. We played the long game with Kevin McCarthy, and we got Mike Johnson, who's not Kevin McCarthy. I want to remind everybody of that. And now we need to play the long game with this and see how bad we could beat up Joe Biden heading into next year's presidential cycle. The the deal is, you can't just say, I have a receipt for a loan repayment for $40,000 or $200,000 from China or Russia and throw it out on social media and then produce articles of impeachment. Because you know who did that? Nancy Pelosi twice. And we also have the circus that it turned into. 
and how fast once we got to a formal impeachment, all that stuff fell apart. So how about we do things the right way for once, play a little bit of a long game, bite our tongues, and hopefully get Joe Biden so beat up that maybe we can impeach him heading into next year's cycle and let the Democrats play defense for once. Because, listen, if we went and impeached Joe Biden tomorrow, it would take so much pressure off the fucking Democrats right now to roll out Big Mike or Gavin Newsom. Yeah, it'd be a shoe-in for them. And then they'd have a whole year to campaign as well. I think they're actually probably panicking that the articles of impeachment aren't going forward. Right. And that we are going to play the long game for once. Yeah. You know, we don't have Mark Elias's and all these big time lawyers and unlimited cash on our side. Our strikes have to be strategic, but they have to be dealt with like nuclear force. Mm -hmm. We can't just go for pot shots of some sniper hanging out in a building, hitting like, you know, some rank and file on the line and think that it's a victory for the Republicans. There's only one way we're taking the White House back next year, and that's everyone full in. I think people in the House that are on the America First side and definitely lined up with President Trump are in for that. We're just going to have to wait and see how it plays out. Speaking of which, we're going to be bringing that and the memes coming in right now with Georgia Representative Mike Collins. But before we do, let's hear from one of our partners. It's an unpleasant truth that 42% of Americans are obese and 79% of Americans are overweight. That's practically one in every two Americans living day to day with every minute counting down to the end of an unhealthy existence. It's time to change that and make Americans healthy again. You've probably heard about weight loss injections that can help you get back into that right mindset and help curb those cravings so you can focus on what's really important. New Hope Wellness has changed thousands of lives and maybe it can change yours too they are american family owned and operated with the goal of saving lives with convenient telehealth options you can speak to a licensed professional from the comfort of your own home and all products are delivered discreetly to your front door visit newhopewellness.com forward slash state and start your journey to a better you that's newhopewellness.com forward slash state to get your free consultation and 100 bucks off your first order 1-800-527-2150 make america healthy again All right, joining us next on the show today, he's the congressman that represents Georgia 10, but he's always number one in our hearts. Always excited to sit down with Representative Mike Collins every time he comes on the show. Congressman, welcome back. Hey, man, it's great to be here. Okay, we got to talk about, before we get into any of like our pre, you know, discussed agenda, I definitely have to talk to you about a couple of things. Number one, the memes exploded after your last time you were on the show. <laughs> it was like yeah. the day you recorded with us, like two hours later, I see you walking down the halls of Congress uh, with those huge printed out memes into the speaker committee meetings. You know, we've asked so many of your congressional counterparts that have come on the show, everyone from Bob Good to Tom Tiffany and everyone in between about the memes. And all they do is laugh. Can you just tell us that they were at least a little bit of a crowd pleaser behind closed doors during the, during the speaker battle? You know, I, I think so. I, as a matter of fact, I know so. We still have people coming up to us, uh, you know, say, hey, don't stop the memes or I've got an idea, a suggestion, and we take those too. But uh, And it was a very serious situation. Yeah. We, we know that. But uh, being from the South, you know, we like to put a little humor in most everything. So uh, so it's just our way of just a little bit of levity in that, in that situation. And it seemed like it worked good. People were having fun with it. No, it, it certainly, listen, sometimes you got to lighten up the mood a little bit, especially when times yeah. are as tense as that. It seems like as far as what's going on, on on Capitol Hill today, the tensions are still pretty high. So you might have to issue out a couple more of those memes on your website before the day is done. <laughs> but listen, I do want to get into the latest meme you put out. It was the one that came out yesterday, and it was Republicans who defend the FBI and Kamala Harris shooting Mayorkas impeachments. And uh, Man, Congressman, can you talk to us about this this resolution that fell on the House floor last night and just from your vantage point, how you saw this thing play out? 
Well, I mean, from my vantage point, it was pretty darn easy. Yeah. I mean, all I had to do is uh, I could make five phone calls back home and people say, I don't care what it is. Get rid of the guy. Uh, we see the disaster at the border. We've seen the problems. I can go from county to county in my district and I can have report after report of people dying, young people dying from fentanyl that is crossing that southern border and an administration that will not take responsibility for it. And, and if that's the only recourse we have, we have an oversight responsibility in Congress, and we need to be using it. And we needed to get rid of that guy. I understand that there were some people that were objecting due to the fact that it did not go through the hearing process and go through the uh, the committee process, rather. Well, we've had since January to start putting people through that process of the committee, and uh, and it hasn't happened yet. And to want to refer it to the committee now, um, no, I didn't need to see that. I, I've already seen the evidence. The evidence is right out there in the motoring public and on that southern border. And and we we missed an opportunity, in my opinion, to to put a guy on, on trial in the Senate and get rid of his sorry butt. Oh, that's it right there. And then when you look at some of the people who, you know, voted with the Democrats, it seems like they sit on, you know, labor committees or appropriations that, yeah. you know, feed into the job sector. And we all know that there's a lot of lobby interest going back and forth, trying to protect that cheap labor. And then you have some of the other ones, you know, Representative Buck's pretty much over it. He probably didn't want to have to deal with the headaches. And, and you just see the way it played out. And it's like, even when we pick up steam and if there was like one slam dunk, even more of a surefire slam dunk than Joe Biden, like that iconic Michael Jordan take off from the free throw line that's just captured yeah. in everybody's memory who's been alive for the last 40 years. It was impeaching Alejandro Mayorkas. Now, as this thing heads back to committee, is it even appropriate to say, are you optimistic that we're going to finally get this thing rolling in the direction it needs to be, or do you think it's just going to be another L for the Republican Party at this point? You know, I would love to say that I'm optimistic. I know some of the uh, people that voted against it last night came out this morning saying, hey, if you'll kick it out of the committee, uh, Mr. Speaker, and you have the ability to do that, then I'll be for this. Uh, but uh, it was definitely a missed opportunity last night. And if I get if I get my chance, and which I will, I'll be speaking with uh, Speaker Johnson at some point today because I've got a few things to run by him. I'm going to tell him, let's kick that thing right on out of committee. Go ahead and push it out. You've got enough people that understand, and you've got an American public out there that wants to see somebody held responsible for the failures down at the southern border. Sure. I mean, when you look at some of the people that were not present or didn't vote, Nancy Mace, Jim Banks, uh, Representative Salazar, yeah. just to name a few, those are surefire yeses if this thing gets out of committee. So I think you guys will meet the threshold, and Alejandro is going to, you know, get the justice he most certainly deserves. I know you touched on Speaker Johnson. It was great to see him, much like yourself, endorse President Trump this morning on Fox Business. We knew that that was coming as he's long been tabbed, MAGA Mike, by President Trump. I hope you don't take any, uh, you know, disdain with that <laughs> wait a minute now <laughs> i think that there's there could be more than that we could just call mega mics it could be like the mike delegation much like the meme delegation up there but as you're getting ready to sit down with him today i think one of the big things that's you know at the forefront of the american people's thoughts right now is what's going on with the appropriations process obviously we know we're about four and a half days left until the current cr runs out obviously we're going to have to get that band-aid even though a lot of america first yeah. congressmen and women aren't for it over the holiday season to get these appropriation bills finished. How do you feel going into talking with Speaker Johnson a little bit later? Do you feel is, is you, you know, you're going to be able to take back to your constituents during the holiday season just how good of a job you guys are going to be able to do on finishing appropriations? Well, that's that's our job. I mean, that's it in a nutshell. That, our job is really, really simple. And passing those appropriation bills is, is one of them. And, and the problem that I have 
I'm I'm not going to be for this CR today. I, I cannot do that. Um, you know, if if that's the way we're going to do this, and there was no need for me to come up here to continue down the road that we set with the Democrats in charge. But the problem is, you take the 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 appropriation bills that we've just looked at. And we didn't vote on the last two, right? And, and you take the agriculture appropriation bills. These things are being killed by just a few people. And and until somebody steps up to the plate and says, hey, wait a minute, now, if, if you don't want to get 80, 85 percent of what we're offering out here, then we can help you understand what's going to happen to you. Somebody's got to take charge and start running this thing like a like a small business, in my opinion, to where when I'm in charge and I say this is how the play is going to go, this is how it's going to go. And, and for that reason, it has put us into this position right here with this continuous resolution. It's going to pass. You know it's going to pass. Sure. I know it's going to pass. But I'm afraid it, I'm not going to be a be a party of it. But it's still going to get all the Democrats support. I mean, why wouldn't they vote for it? Heck, they're the ones that put it in place over a year ago, two years ago. So it's their policy. But uh, we've got to get our, our ship upright. We've got to get rowing in the same direction here. And we've got to make people understand that, uh, you know, yes, you may have your little – temper tantrum, whatever you've got going on in your little neck of the woods. But uh, but there is bigger things at stakes at stake right now, and that's getting these appropriation bills passed over to the Senate and getting them into conference. 100% correct, which is, leads me to my next point. Do you think behind closed doors, at least within the caucus, when you guys are all kind of hashing it out, you're probably showing some memes as well, trying to keep things a little bit light because apparently there was some uh, pretty high strung people up on Capitol Hill today, you know, we all know what comes after the continuing resolutions if the appropriations process doesn't get done through the holidays, and that's the Senate-pushed omnibus bill they've had such a long time now since Mike Johnson got the speaker gavel to be working on this thing and refining it, watching your guys' every move. Do you think there's enough in, in the leadership of Speaker Johnson right now to tell these guys behind closed doors, like, listen, this is what we're presenting you with. We know a lot of you aren't going to like the fact that we have to do another CR to get appropriations done, but here's what happens if you guys don't get on board with the message we're trying to portray to the American people, and that's they're going to force an omnibus on us, and if we don't accept the omnibus, which I don't think the Republican House will do, we're looking at a potential government shutdown, which is probably the worst thing that could possibly happen. I don't think you could put it any plainer than what you just did, period. I mean, that's it in a nutshell. Uh, let's let's stop stop playing with the games. Uh, you know you, you're not going to get 100 percent of your stuff out of appropriations, and, and I'm sorry, uh, but right now with the position that we're in, and, and it's not a good one. Look at where we're at today. We're talking about another continuous resolution. So let's stop with the game play. Let's get this thing. We've been behind the eight ball for six months, eight months now. Let's get this thing through this year. And then, by God, when we start up on, on in December or whenever we want to start this thing, let's make sure that we get our budget out in February. Let's make sure that we get our appropriations bills done on time this time. And, and don't go on recess in August if we haven't had them all passed and not put ourselves in this position again. I mean, we're in a rough position. We are. I know that, but uh, we've had opportunities over the last couple of weeks to fix that. We could be over 90% done with our appropriation bills right now, but uh, but we're not because we've got some people that just can't, uh, can't, can't accept anything less than perfect for them. 
And, uh, and, and that's where we're, man, we're kicking our own selves in the teeth. Yeah. And most of the time, what's perfect to a house representative doesn't necessarily reflect what their constituents want back home. That's the thing. The tone deafness that we see up on Capitol Hill, not from some of the new ones that have brought a breath of fresh air like yourself, Mike, but some of the longstanding ones who just rubber stamp with the party who, or who's ever in power or whatever the you know speaker says to do. It's been a problem for a long time. And it seems like you guys are, it, it's a process and, and it's not one that happens overnight, but you guys are definitely rooting it out. Last thing I want to ask you, and this is just an opinion, and I'm not asking you to speak for Speaker Johnson, but do you think at some point we're going to start seeing some of the January 6th tapes released as that was one of the only two stipulations, getting the appropriations done and then getting that stuff out to the public uh, at some point in the near future? Yeah, you know, as a matter of fact, I thought that they they were already being lined up to push some of that out. I think every bit of it needs to be pushed out to the motoring public and uh, and let the American people see exactly what's what happened on January 6th. And, you know, you don't need to see any more hypocrisy than what you saw last week when they attacked the White House, when, when another party did. Yeah. And, uh, and and the lack of action that was taken by the police. How many arrests did they have? One. You know, and, and defacing and, and destroying federal property like that can get you 25 years. Made one arrest. I guess it was one guy with 500 hands <laughs> with red paint on. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh, <laughs> it's an embarrassment just how the hypocrisy that goes on in this in this little arena right here. Yeah. Well, when you look at how Joe Biden and his team had Gavin Newsom clean up the streets of San Francisco this week because yeah. <laughs> Emperor Xi Jinping's coming down to uh, survey the damage, he won't see any human feces or tent cities. He'll he'll see like closed storefronts because all the businesses have moved out, but it'll be a lot cleaner than it has been. I'm, I'm sure the people that live in San Francisco are happy that they can at least safely walk back and forth to work one week out of the year. I guess Gavin has become a really good student of Z. I mean, yeah. he was over in China. Now he's coming over here to visit him. I mean, you know, I, I hope he gets his diploma soon. I, I wish you would have took some notes on how to build a border wall because we could always use a better one out here in Southern California. <laughs> you think Newsom's yeah. going to do the uh, the fake storefronts with, like, the fake fruit, like, from the interview? Oh, that would be fantastic. <laughs> I mean, when he said on the news the other day, yeah, I cleaned it up because he's coming. Who cares? No, like, he said, if you yeah. think that we just cleaned it up because these high, you know, high-end people are coming, well, that's true yeah. because it's true. <laughs> okay, go you know, on. I, I don't care what anybody says. That's that's probably going to be your Democrat nominee. Yee. You know what? I've I've called that since day one. I'm glad you're on board with that one. But it, it looks like even when he makes statements like that, where he's like talking about how bad of a job he does, but he's letting it known. Now he won't be. Well, I've never denied that. I know that we have a problem in San Francisco, and I cleaned it up because we had world leaders coming. What do you want me to do about it? Like, yeah, leave. I want you to clean it up all the time. True story. Congressman, obviously, this was, good. this was great sitting down with you today and catching up and, and talking about everything from appropriations and, and getting that border secured all the way up through the memes. We're going to be live linking your congressional website in the show description today. Can you give us your social media handle? Everybody needs to be following your account. Uh, yeah, man, and I would love it. Rep Mike Collins. Absolutely. You do that, you can hunt us down anywhere across the entire world on the, on the social media. And uh, we'd, we'd love to have your help in getting the message out. And I appreciate what y'all do, too. Y'all Y'all do a great job of just helping us make sure that the public out there understands kind of what's going on in this place up here. It's crazy. Yeah, and, and you want to know what for as crazy it is, you painted a great picture of it today. This is the man that represents Georgia 10, one of our great friends, Congressman Mike Collins. Thanks for joining us on the show. Appreciate it, man. Thank you. You know, we were respected when I was president. We were respected by China. You know, one story, a quick story. You don't mind if I go off teleprompter like a lot, do you? So much more exciting, so much more. But the head of Hungary, 
A very tough, strong guy, Viktor Orban. Did anybody ever hear of him? Probably, you know, considered very powerful, very uh, powerful within his country and outside of his country. Uh, not exactly loved by some of the European nations because he does his thing. He didn't allow millions of people to invade his country. He allowed nobody to invade. The zero, zero. He had nobody. So he doesn't have crime and he doesn't have the problems that they're having in other countries where millions of people are allowed to go in. But they uh, were interviewing him two weeks ago and they said, uh, what would you advise President Obama? The whole world seems to be exploding and imploding. And he said, it's very simple. He should immediately resign and they should replace him with President Trump, who kept the world safe. And I'm not just talking the United States. China respected him. Russia respected him. North Korea respected him. And he used another word other than respect to, he said fear. But I don't want to use that word. Of course, it's probably better than respect if you get right down to it, right? But he said everybody was fine. We had no problem. We have none of these problems. You didn't have inflation. You didn't have these problems three years ago. And then you look at this. We're the greatest economy in history. Now we have a mess. You'll end up in the Great Depression. And I'll tell you the one thing I don't want to be, I don't want to be Herbert Hoover. I always said, I don't want to be Herbert Hoover. Jumping back into the news here, President Trump held a huge rally in Claremont, New Hampshire over the weekend. We're going to bring you guys all the highlights right now. Coming on the back end of the Mike Collins interview, Noah, what'd you think? A little uh, Freudian slip there with uh, President Obama. But at the same time, is he really wrong? No, it's Obama in the basement in his pajamas with the candlestick. Mm. It was great sitting down with Mike Collins. I don't think we get a more candid view of what's really going on in the House of Representatives than we do when the Georgia congressman joins us on the show. I can't wait to hang out with that guy. He seems pretty fair and accurate. We do have to remember he has team Paps Blue Ribbon as well. Nothing beats a long day on the truck and road than finishing it with a cold Paps, according to him. Mm, there you go. Mm-hmm. President Trump was on the road, hitting the campaign trail hard, and rocking Claremont, New Hampshire over the weekend. Listen, he brought some some pretty good receipts. You know, one of the first ones was talking about his dear friend, Victor Orban, and how he accredited President Trump with keeping the world so much safer, his enemies at bay, and, and bringing peace amongst some of America's strongest allies and bringing new ones into the fold as well. And I think a lot of people take for granted the geopolitical successes President Trump had, some that were mired by disinformation from people close to him who were just making up stories about things that he said or, or did or did not want to do throughout the course of his presidency. And when you see the way certain world leaders speak about him, Victor Orban, obviously, MBS, et cetera, you know, Bibi Netanyahu, they knew that they were safe and secure when Donald Trump was president and in the White House. So it's also really sad to hear that, I don't know if you heard this yesterday, Noah, Donald Trump's sister, Mary Trump, passed away at the age of 86 in her residence uh, yesterday. That's a, that's a good run, though. Mm-hmm. And although her and Donald Trump didn't ideologically see eye to eye with everything he did politically, I mean, we do have to take into context that that's his sister, and we send our thoughts and prayers out to the Trump family as they're going to go through this difficult time going through her funeral process and stuff like that. So, of course, we all know that Donald Trump has segued hard on the campaign trail, only potshotting at some of the people in the fake primary, those that... Others might consider, I'm air quoting now, opponents. Mm. 
and directing a lot of his fire on Joe Biden and, and the absolute dumpster fire that he's caused up in Washington, D.C. He was hitting him hard in Claremont, New Hampshire over the weekend, too. Let's hear it. I'll also make it a personal mission to completely eradicate veterans' homelessness in America. You know, we were doing a great job with it, and then a terrible thing happened. We were doing so well with it, and then these guys get in, and uh, they treat the illegal aliens just pouring, pouring into our country better than they treat our veterans. I mean, I mean, they stay in the best hotels. I don't even stay in those hotels. I say, don't stay there. That I tell my people, don't stay there. They're too expensive. They say, we can't, sir. They're being occupied by illegal aliens. <laughs> Those owners are making a lot of money, but it's it's just crazy. We don't treat the veterans. We don't treat our veterans right. In the past three years, Biden has spent over $1 billion to put up illegal aliens in hotels, some of the most luxurious hotels in the country. Meanwhile, we have 33,000 homeless American veterans. Can you believe it? And we were really alleviating that problem, and now they've given that totally up. Totally up. It's terrible. On day one, I'll sign an executive order to cut off Biden's spigot of money for the shelter and transport of illegal aliens, and we will redirect a large portion of the savings to provide shelter and treatment for our own homeless veterans. Love it. We love our veterans. We've got to take care of our veterans here. They're among our greatest people. Crooked Joe puts bureaucrats first and illegal aliens first. I will put veterans first and America first every single time. What do you think, Noah? I definitely think that we don't give enough attention to our homeless vets. There's a lot of, you know, mental illness and depression related. There's things that have to do with reliancy on drugs and it, it contributes to a larger problem. I, I think that the people who have gone and served our country in any context throughout the point of, you know, the history of their lives are, are con- should be considered American heroes. It seems like Donald Trump wants to put a lot more attention onto those guys. Well, yeah, when you look at the homeless vets and, and the stuff that's been happening lately, it's when you displace homeless vets for economic migrants, that definitely does nothing to help their cause. It, yeah. it actually probably makes things extensively worse yeah i still can't believe that they've got two thousand migrants packed into the iconic roosevelt hotel in new york in addition to that i don't know if you saw mayor adams bust like literally 10 charter buses full of illegal aliens outside of the city this weekend and brought them to new tent cities that they made for them you know food shelter cots toilets the illegal aliens are walk- those the ones where you saw the uh, the couches and TVs and and coffee tables that were set up? No, those were the welcome centers. These are more of like the long term care. So the illegal aliens got off the bus, walked in, and said, "I shan't be staying here." Got back on the bus and demanded to go back to the Roosevelt Hotel. They said, "I've gotten my work authorization already for inside of New York City. My kids unscreened, unvetted, no vaccines, going to school, going to school in New York City. How are we supposed to live this way?" And Eric Adams had the buses take them back to the Roosevelt Hotel. So what happens when the Roosevelt Hotel fills up completely? Oh, it's Phil. I mean, it, I, I'm, that's a rhetorical question. But, well, I mean, where are the other aliens going to go? Did you see they, that? They just don't get, uh, they don't get to stay at the hotel ever? They don't get their dry cleaning done for free at the taxpayer's expense? It's pretty interesting. 
Democrat Mayor Eric Adams has been critical of Alejandro Mayorkas and Joe Biden, asking them in recent weeks to close the border. Weird. It's almost like you got what you wanted and it didn't fucking work out for you. In addition, he's also said that he can't live off of the $1.4 billion that's allotted to New York to deal with the migrant crisis anymore. Next year's appropriations can't be anything short of $5 billion. Well, you know why that is. Hmm. Because it's these government contracts where they're marked up 150% because Uncle Sam is paying. Do you think every time one of these migrants gets sent, the administration at the hospital is just like, well, fuck yeah, let's let's run them through the whole spectrum of tests. Let's go do everything. Let's let's put them in the, uh, what, what is it from the Big Lebowski when he's in the freaking, the air tank? The, oh, that, oh, what is that called? That's a good one too. <laughs> and they got the, they're going to throw this uh, illegal migrant who's coming here for economic purposes into the iron lung for a month and a half at, you know, however many millions of dollars that's costing us. It's wild. It certainly is. Do you want to know it's even wilder? And the best part about all the awful stuff I just told you? Being able to say I told you so to Democrat policies? Close. And I'm not going to say President Trump didn't call it. And when I say I told you so, it's not like I'm enjoying that I'm saying I told you so. It's like I'm saying I told you so, and also you're a fucking idiot because you fucked us forever. You fucked us for decades. You were saying. Eric Adams <laughs> has now is now being formally investigated by the FBI for campaign-related finances. Yeah, they took his, his iPad. They took his phones. It's weird. You start criticizing the administration, and then all of a sudden the weaponized arm of the DOJ goes after you and crawls up your ass. It's funny how that works. A man said something about that once. A man. <laughs> that they were coming after him, but he was only standing in the way. Everybody rolls their eyes when he says that. Do you think Eric Adams is going to say that now? <sighs> I'm just trying to protect you, and there's and I'm standing, and he's not going to say it as eloquently. <laughs> he, he was a crooked cop anyway, so I doubt he'll say that, period. President Trump would continue to hammer the guy that's in the White House right now. Doesn't refer him as president, just crooked Joe Biden. Let's hear it. A guy in the White House who can't put two sentences together. <laughs> who couldn't find his way off this stage. And actually, he would be confused because I think my audience behind me might be bigger than my audience in front of me. There are a lot of people there. He would be saying, he'd be saying, what do I do? Where am I? He'd be saying, it is sort of a strange speaking venue. I'm like in the middle of a room and I'm looking back here. But he would say, what's this? You ever see Yenza's speech? He has no clue how to get off. You got to stare there. You got to jump off the front, do anything. Just don't walk into a wall. He walks into walls. But this is the guy that we have ne negotiating with Putin and, right? And President Xi of China. And Kim Jong-un, who won't even talk to him. This is who we have in charge of nuclear. But this anniversary should remind us all of why it is so important to once again have a president who will deliver peace through strength. That's what we had. We had tremendous. We had all peace. We had, we had peace. We had a great, we had a great period of time. I don't, no, no lies wrong detected. there, yeah. Man, he always references that time that Joe Biden tried to walk through the uh, decorative doors in the White House, and he got there, and it was just like, 
doorknobs attached to the wall, and he shook it, and there was no doors there. He really did that? Yeah, it was at that fake White House set that they built up. Well, I mean, he okay, in his defense, he probably didn't remember where he was, mm. and those doors probably work in the real world. <laughs> it's so bad. It's so bad. He uh, was doing a speaking event this morning and wanted to remind, it's like that whatever globalist summit they have in San Francisco this week where President Xi will be attending as of tomorrow, and he was reminding everybody that climate change was the most existential threat to humanity, and everybody was just quote-tweeting it and said, make sure you remind the the president of China that when he comes Yeah, the guy who's the biggest gross polluter on the fucking planet he opened more coal refineries during your last fucking five minutes of talking than you could even freaking shake a stick at it's ridiculous it's pretty wild that that's who they want to hitch their wagon to and it it shows a lot for what we have going on in this country with the indoctrination via tiktok and all this other stuff that's not being taken care of because quite frankly our politicians and people in the highest levels are bought and paid for by China. And I'll say this again. It's not a concerted effort of all these people saying, I want the United States to fall. It's individually buying politicians. It's individually buying people. And they're working together as pieces of a puzzle, and they're not necessarily aware that they're doing it. It's the truth, Uh, much like this show is. So wherever you're listening to it today and whatever platform you choose, Apple, Spotify, Google Podcasts, or iHeartRadio, Please make sure you're following the show. More importantly, make sure it's downloading to your electronic device. In addition to that, find us on social media, Twitter, Getter, Truth Social, and Instagram. Find the Steak for Breakfast accounts. Follow us and hit the notification bell. We touched on it a bit just a few minutes ago, talking about Donald Trump standing in the way of larger investigations and prosecutions coming to other, not only people in Congress, but people like Mayor Adams, and then trickling down to the American public like we've much seen with the January 6th defendants. He wanted to remind everybody about that and, and talk about his stance on it. Let's hear it. Silence me because I know the truth and I'm not afraid to say it. Their goal is intimidation of everybody at the highest level. But I really don't care. I don't care. I just want to do what's right for the country. I didn't need this. You know, when I did this, when I did this, uh, somebody said the other day, are you glad you did it? Because I had a hell of a life. I had that most beautiful <laughs> life. I don't think I could do whatever I want. The best properties, the best resorts. I could have had the greatest time. Instead, I'm here on a Saturday afternoon with you, working my ass off. <laughs> working my ass off up here. No, I had a good life. But I, I was asked the question. Thank you. That's very nice. And he makes a great point. You know, there's so many other things that he could be doing other than this. Like just hanging out and golfing and enjoying his fucking life with all of his riches that he's losing for doing this. You know, it's funny. You, you want to talk about some of the side stories going on this week. No, I, I saw Don Jr. was in the Manhattan courtroom testifying on behalf of the Trump Corporation and his family to the Letitia James Peekaboo, Tish, whatever you want to call her. Boobies out on Snapchat. Wait, what? Yeah. Oof. I don't want I, I want nothing to do with that. You want to talk about udders? Ugh. Utterly disgusting. Damn! <laughs> but, you know, it's like 
Don Jr. went through his whole testimony, cross-examination, whatever you want to call it, questioning, and then Letitia James comes out of the courtroom and she has a pre-prepared statement that said, you know, Don Jr. came in here to defend his family's corporation and business and instead, you know, showed us pictures of properties and, and how great they are and told us a nice story about his family's history. It's like the level of sham that this witch hunt in Manhattan is right now. I mean, it's completely fallen apart. I know there's been some great investigative work on behalf of people like Laura Loomer, who's exposed uh, <laughs> Ju- right. Judge Megatron's wife. You know, she's out there. She's like one of the most blue-haired, hairy-armpitted liberals like posting memes of Donald Trump in the orange jumpsuit and all this other shit on her social media. As soon as they found it, she locked her account. It's like, if you don't think as a husband and wife, you talk about that stuff at home and then you're seeing over a case where you could destroy one of the largest business entities in the history of New York city. Oh yeah. You're fooling yourself. It's ridiculous. And you know, I also saw this week, I definitely have to point it out. Harmeet Dillon, who's been doing a hell of a good job for president Trump in, in, in and out of court, Posted on Twitter yesterday, I saw that she had gotten some more results. It said, my Dillon Law Group partners obtained yet another victory for President Trump in the campaign in Wayne County, Michigan, where the judge granted our motion for summary judgment, rejected the argument that the election officials have the right to determine the 14th Amendment eligibility. This is a remove Donald Trump from the ballot in Michigan that Harmeet Dillon is fighting. She picked up a big victory there in the courtroom, and it's just good to see, you know, the way that this kind of goes down and... It's it's crazy to see how this man, I guess we could do poll numbers now as well, has been able to weather out this storm and, and just continue to gain steam. Here we go. Yesterday, this came out, and this is one of President Trump's largest lead, Monday morning, morning consult, 2024 National Republican primary. Donald Trump, 64%. Ron DeSantis, 14. Nikki Haley, 9. Ramaswamy, 6. Christie, 2. Hutchinson, 1. Bergam, 1. No, this is like one of the first polls that is indicating that Donald Trump has a commanding 50-point lead over the next nearest primary challenger. I don't think anybody should be remotely surprised. No, yeah, you're right. I'm going to get into some of these other ones here. I got the Electoral College stat poll. This is a good one. Uh, this one came out yesterday as well, and it shows it gives some of the electoral matchups. So I'm going to read it to you right now. Trump versus Biden, head-to-head. Donald Trump gets 292 electoral college votes. Joe Biden gets 246. You need 275 to become president. In a four-way race, Trump, Biden, RFK Jr., and West. Trump has 45%. Joe Biden, 46. RFK Jr., 8. West, 1. But Donald Trump would still get 298 votes in an electoral matchup of all four candidates. So Hmm. well over the threshold to become president. Yeah. And then you look at some of the other ones. Joe Biden. 359 electoral votes over meatball Ron DeSantis. Ouch. Who would only get 178. That's insulting. Donald Trump would get 311 electoral votes over Kamala Harris. She would get 227. And Donald Trump would win in a head-to-head matchup. As of right now, according to this poll, against Gavin Newsom, 319 to 219. Yeesh. Yep. And then they have a couple of uh, state matchups right here. Georgia, Republicans, plus three. That would be a flip. Pennsylvania, Republicans are up 2.3%. That would be a flip. Arizona, 1.4, still well within the margin of error, but that would also be considered a flip. Wisconsin's a little tighter, only 0.9 would also be a flip from the last election cycle, and then it would go down some of the other states that are having races right now and, and where the polling's looking there. What else do I got here? I'm trying to look at my notes. Oh, this is going to be another good one. 
Now, Noah, we made fun of Ron DeSantis last week because every time Ron DeSantis does anything, we could post on social media about it. Wait until Ron DeSantis announces. Wait until Ron DeSantis gets its 99 county tour bump. The most recent was wait till Ron DeSantis gets his endorsement from Iowa Governor Kim Reynolds bump. Ooh. Guess what? It happened? Not going the way that uh, the high heel wearing governor from Florida probably wanted it to go. Listen, these boots are made for walking. He needs to be walking right out of his candidacy <laughs> and endorsing President Trump. This came out yesterday. This is from Fabrizio Lee. Fabrizio? I mean, that's the outlet right now. They are leading international survey research and strategic consulting firm, veteran GOP pollsters and strategists owned by Tony Fabrizio and David Lee. Is he the guy that is it from the Fabrizio family? Stop it. So you ready for the Ron DeSantis bump? It smells delicious. 2024 Iowa GOP caucus poll commissioned by a Trump pack. Donald Trump, 43%, plus one from his last poll. Ron DeSantis, 19%, two points down. Mm. So Ron DeSantis got zero bump for the endorsement of the governor in the state that they conducted the poll in. Nikki Haley, 16. The artist formerly known as Tim Scott, five. <laughs> Chris Christie, five. Ramaswamy, four. And Doug Burgum won. This is uh, the percentage changes since October. And then when you reallocate Tim Scott's vote, which we'll get to in our next news segment, Trump is at 44%. Ron DeSantis gets back up to 40, but it's still a 1% increase for both candidates. And Nikki Haley goes from 16 to 18%. So there it is, 600 legal voters. And that was conducted over a three-day period since Kim Reynolds' endorsement. Mm. Not done hammering him yet. Donald Trump would take... You think Febreze is going to come up with a caucus scent? Mm. What would that smell like? Well, today it smells like Fight Club. Yeah. We'll get to that in our next new segment. What's the first rule of Congress? Mm. Don't talk about Congress. You know, there's a lady, Olivia Beavers. She's like a Capitol Hill insider, and she's posting comments from other congressmen who are talking about Kevin McCarthy and Tim Burchette getting into a shoving match today. <laughs> and then she's providing commentary on what went down with uh, Sean O'Brien, the Teamsters leader, and Senator Mark Wayne Mullins in the senatorial hearing today, chaired by Bernie Sanders. And there are so many people quote tweeting her on Twitter and saying, <laughs> nobody talks about Congressional Fight Club. <laughs> you, I mean, you can't, you can't make this shit up. Oh, it's amazing. It's fantastic. And, it's, and it's, it's exactly what needs to happen because it just shows how ridiculous everything has gotten. And we're literally descending into the chaos that we see in third world countries. So, no, it finally happened. Donald Trump decided to, in his undying quest to finish off the Ron DeSantis campaign, <laughs> finally touch on the heels. Oh, he did. You ready for it? Let's hear it. And I'm not wearing lifts either, by the way. Ouch! I don't have six-inch heels. Actually, the greatest moment of the debate when Ron was walking around to Sanctimonious was walking off the stage. Told you. And his feet, it's weird, because his cowboy boots. So they have a high heel outside, but inside you got a big deal going on. And he's walking like... No, he's walking off the stage like he's trying to balance himself. I thought he was wearing ice skates. <laughs> no. What difference does it make, right? What difference? When you think about it, what difference does it make? Like tens of millions of people with it. What? difference at this point does it make?
No, but Ron, Ron DeSantis walking off stage at that was the most decisive, I need to walk like these aren't lifts that you've ever seen. And they probably went and spent more money on, on the boots that looked a little bit more reasonable or maybe some pants that had a longer inseam. You don't think those boots are off the rack like he claims they are? At some point, maybe they would have been on the rack. What did he say? They were Nakonas or yeah. something? Nah. They are super modified. I wonder if, is Nakona based? I wonder if they could verify, confirm, or deny. We'll have to reach out to someone from their team and see. If yeah, let's see. And then see, maybe get a promo code. Ooh, I like that. Yeah. So we play a little Yellowstone music as well. He wasn't done hammering his primary challengers as he would lump them all together and then talk about the abysmal poll numbers. Let's hear it. And you have about, what, seven or eight candidates left? I think they're at a debate tonight. Nobody's talking about it. Everybody's watching. So it's 61% for your favorite president, me. And 10% for Ron DeSanctimonious. And 7% for Birdbrain. You know Birdbrain? <laughs> I will never run against him. He is a great president. I will never, ever run against him, said Birdbrain. I will not run against him. He was one of the greatest presidents in the history of our country. And then about three months later, she goes, I've decided to run. This, this is the craziest business politic. So, yeah, I, again, pointing out the poll numbers, it's kind of, you can't ignore it. I even have to say, we'll, we'll touch on it a little bit later in the show, getting close to our wrap there. Um, I don't know if you know this or not, Noah, but Meatball Ron made it to SNL. Like as <clears throat> a part of a skit. Oh, not as a guest. No. <laughs> oh, wow. They, That's a bummer. They did this whole thing where it was like the Fox preview for the presidential debate and then time stops. And then the, the comedian who plays Donald Trump comes out and goes through systematically introducing all of these people. And, you know, Donald Trump never really used Meatball Ron, but he did say last year at a rally he would like kind he of reference that somebody was calling a Meatball, right? Well, he he said he had heard the nickname and said it a couple of times, much like he does with Chris Christie. Like you can't call Chris Christie a fat pig. He said I'd never call Ron DeSantis Meatball Ron. Yeah, and uh, you know it was highly weaponized by the Dilly Meme team, <laughs> and, and now has become the the iconic Meatball from the Aqua Teens Hunger Force. <laughs> oh shit. Plops onto the screen with a, the Ron, like, Jeb exclamation point, and then sometimes there's a Hail Hydra in there. You can't really oh. beat the way that they were able to take that one line from President Trump and turn it into a movement. Hail that, Hydra. That was able to dismantle <laughs> the DeSantis campaign. And it's just like, I don't know how you live. Like, man. Can you imagine? No. Can you imagine? No. <laughs> like, how much do these people wish that they were born a five decades earlier back when the the only thing you had to worry about was the fucking newspaper yep. and it, the poor people weren't reading it and, and whatever narrative you wanted to get out there peter jennings or dan rather would read it off a teleprompter and that would be essentially god's word when it came to the news yeah now everybody who's like even the most destitute poor lower class people have what would be considered a nasa supercomputer in their yeah. pocket at all times now true story even the flip phones no you're you're 100 right they all have internet access and that gives you access to you know all of the stuff that's going on online including all the social media sites so we're gonna which is one of the main reasons we have such a deviated like worldview because everybody's just getting 
mind-numbingly hit by all sides by just propaganda. True story, but it's also a lot easier for people to get caught in their To lives. get information, too. Yeah. yeah, that's the case as well. We're going to close it out here as we're getting ready to jump in for the first time with the iconic Caroline Wren. She'll be joining us in, in just a moment, but we're going to play a little bit of President Trump's closeout again as he's ready to exit the stage from Claremont, New Hampshire. The real threat is not from the radical right. The real threat is from the radical left, and it's growing every day, every single day. The threat from outside forces is far less sinister, dangerous, and grave than the threat from within. Our threat is from within, because if you have a capable, competent, smart, tough leader, Russia, China, North Korea, they're not going to want to play with us. And they didn't. Despite the hatred and anger of the radical left lunatics who want to destroy our country, we will make America great again. Thank you, New Hampshire. God bless you. God bless you all. Thank you. God bless you all. Thank you. tell you what i mean talk about picking the winningest song of yeah. winning ever listen the so guy's good i heard he's a master on, on on the dj booth and uh when you talk about the job that people like caroline levitt and bruce brenton have done up in new hampshire you cannot harp on it enough that they have weaponized the movement to get behind donald trump again mm-hmm. much reminiscent of 2016 and, you know, in a state where Joe Biden has seen some relative success, I think he's going to have a lot harder time uh, getting over the finish line here with the amount of people that are showing up for these rallies and the immense and incredible ground game that they set up in New Hampshire. You, you just can't, you know, do anything but lend credit to the great job that they're doing. Knowing that there's still a lot of fight ahead, but that every day it's onward and upward for them. So great job by the team out in New Hampshire. Obviously, great job by President Trump hitting on the big issues. We're going to be jumping in with Caroline Wren in just a moment. But before we do that, let's hear from one of our partners. Friends, I want to take a minute and talk to you about cigars. Whether you're on the golf course, fishing on the lake, or doing some yard work around the house, our friend Alan has got you covered. He's launched the Patriot Cigar Company. The tobacco is hand-picked in the fields of Nicaragua, right next to where Mike Lindell picks his coffee beans. Cigars are hand-rolled each three years. If you get a promo code STAKE here, you're going to get 15% off your total order. Every order over $100 Free shipping and a $10 e-gift card is included with every purchase. MyPatriotCigars.com, that's MyPatriotCigars.com, a premium smoke for freedom-loving patriots. All right, joining us next on the show today, this big Tuesday edition of the Steak for Breakfast podcast, she's the president of Blue Bonnet Fundraising. She's also a senior advisor to one of our favorites, Miss Carrie Lake. Joining us for the first time, very excited to be sitting down with Caroline Wren. Thanks for joining us on the show. Thanks for having me. Well... I'd like to talk about good stuff, but we're going to talk about all the bad. I think we should get started where everybody in the party knows we have a problem, and that's with leadership. We're not talking at the top of the ticket with candidates like President Trump, who's running away with the nomination. We're talking about those apparatuses that support him. So 
I know you've seen the way that uh, the last election cycle just over a week ago kind of went down and a lot of the losses we've incurred. You've probably also heavily tracked the way that Ronald McDaniel has went out and promoted her wins across the board. And uh, we want to talk to you about some solutions. So let's get into it. Great. So what is the problem here? It seems like Ronald McDaniel is essentially untouchable. You know, it, it, is it her and her ego or is it the delegates that keep putting her in power and she knows she's well above the bar to retain her title as the RNC chair. So it doesn't matter who wins or loses, who she gives money to or not. She's always going to have her job if she wants it. I guess that's true. I mean, she's the longest serving chair since 1896, the Republican Party. But in what other business do you get to repeatedly fail at your job and then get to keep that position? Like, it is so bizarre to me. I mean, only in Republican politics do you get to do that. But it is a it, the system is, I think, flawed, but the way it works is 168 members get to vote for the RNC chair. There's three from each state and territory. And we had this big battle in January, and I was very involved in it then. I helped run Harmeet Dillon's race, and, you know, we, Rana was able to get 100 votes. And, and the reason really why, though, is that these parties rely on transfers from the RNC to their state committees. And so they thought that if they voted against Rana, that she would then withhold transfers. And the thing is, she she would. She's kind of very small and petty like that. She doesn't make financial decisions or spending decisions based on what states need it or where resources should be allocated. She does make it on personal relationships. So when you have that happen, people are very scared of retaliation because she will retaliate against them. So we were faced up against it was basically an unwinnable battle. But, you know, that doesn't mean we shouldn't have them. People all said the McCarthy battle was unwinnable. And look what happened. And so she was able to get reelected, I believe, like solely based on that. And then now I think people are just it's it's rearing its head again because people are unbelievably frustrated, as we should be. It, like there's just been repeated losses since she was appointed. She was not elected in 2017. She was appointed. And then we had underperformances in 2018. 2020 was a disaster. And I blame a lot of that on her. Uh, the Trump campaign and RNC are a merged entity when you have a, a, a incumbent presidential candidate. And I don't feel like the legal fund was used well to actually, there was a lot of offensive lawfare that she should have done. And then we had underperformances of 2021. 2022 was a massive underperformance. Earlier this year, we had the Wisconsin Supreme Court special election that was a disaster. And then we just had a disaster again on Tuesday. So like at some point, this is just untenable. And so people are starting to speak out, I think rightfully so again, and just saying, Rana, please, for the good of the party, step aside. Now, how do you see this all playing out, Carolina? As we're heading into like one of the largest election cycles in the history of our republic here. I mean, obviously you have President Trump who's running away with the nomination, but one of the things we try to remind our listenership here, for as much as, you know, there's so many people out there on social media, influencers that get involved with a very large voice who say, you know, Trump and only Trump is the only way to fix this country. But for anyone that really knows politics, that's not necessarily the case. You saw the most comprehensive border protection bill in HR2 passed in the House of Representatives last year, and that thing was DOA on the Senate because of the way the chain of command works, the vote system works, and that Joe Biden has the Oval Office right now and Chuck Schumer's leading the Senate, which means the Republicans only have one piece of the third that you need to pass legislation. When you look across the country right now and see some of the rising stars in the Republican Party who are getting back into these races and are going to be looking to go to Congress next year, both in the House and Senate side, to support President Trump and his legislative agenda in 2025, how important is it for you to to let our listenership know that these races are just as equally as important as winning the presidency is? Because if you don't have the full gamut, at least in the first half of the term, your legislative process is going to get gummed up, much like the way it did in, in 2016. 
Oh, it's incredibly important. And as of right now, I think that the Senate looks winnable right now. Like the, I mean, the uh, West Virginia news was big. That yep. means we're basically at a tied Senate. We need to pick up at least two more seats. I think we need to pick up three because we just can't count on Collins and Murkowski ever. The most competitive races, I would argue, are actually Arizona, Ohio, and Montana. Personally, I'm working with Carrie Lake in Arizona. I'm very hopeful that Matt Rosendale is going to get in in Montana. And why Montana was a state that I think Trump won by 20 plus points and will again this time around. But I always want the more conservative member. And I so I think it's it's um, Matt Rosendale likely against Tim Sheehy. And Tim Sheehy to me has put out public statements. He's he's made all of his money off military contracting and he put out public statements saying we need planes, bullets, ammo and boots on the ground in Ukraine. And now he's trying to walk that back. But if we send people like that with that mindset, you're just sending more people who are going to vote across the aisle with the Democrats every single time to continue us down into financial ruin and starting foreign wars. So not only do we need to win these general elections, but we also need to be electing Republicans who will actually stand with President Trump and the populist movement. And so that's why that race is incredibly important to me. The other ones that are competitive are obviously Michigan, Pennsylvania, Wisconsin, which I haven't seen a candidate merge, and Nevada. These are all states that are swing states. So I actually think that in all those states, it will track with the president. In fact, I can't think of a time in modern history that the usually the president and then that Senate race in presidential years track the same. So in I, I would argue 2016, we lost two Senate races and Trump lost two states. Those were New Hampshire and Nevada. Why? Because Joe Heck and Kelly Ayotte came out after the Pussygate scandal and disavowed President Trump. And so what happened then was that the Trump fan, the Trump people stayed home for voting for them. And then the people that that maybe were independents that swayed stay home for voting for Trump. So we need to run lock and step with President Trump in these elections or else you will have that type of voting because the only actually there's one Susan Collins is the only time that I've a split ticket who won her state that the top of the ticket didn't. So that's my race assessment on the Senate. The The House, I actually think we're going to struggle with. There's a lot of redistricting stuff happening right now. We have a small like majority right now. And so I'm, I'm a little bit worried about the House. If anything, I think we maybe lose one or two seats and just end up with a three-seat majority. Um, and so if we do that and we get President Trump and we get some real conservatives and win, pick up two or three more seats in the Senate, then that's going to that's gonna look good for us. But it'll still be tight. Yeah, and then when you see in the House of Representatives, Steve Scalise is rolling out the newest version of Kevin McCarthy's fundraising and probably holding money over candidates' heads. How important is it to continue to identify America First candidates who line up with President Trump and the America First agenda to retain that you know majority in the House next year and get those candidates across the finish line when President Trump's going to be at the top of the ticket in 2024? My big frustration, actually, with this past cycle with Tom Emmer, who I fought hard during the speakership race and came out against, and even with Kevin McCarthy, who I knew well from the 2020 election when I was a national um, finance consultant for President Trump, was that they used a lot of the money that they raised. All the money is raised in these entities, whether it's not the National Republican Congressional Committee is the committee that does House races. Then you have something called CLF, which is the super PAC, which is controlled by the Speaker of the House. And they used, when Tom Emmer was chair of the NRCC and when McCarthy was, you know, head of basically CLF, the super PAC, they used a ton of the money that they raised to actually go primary and spend it against America First candidates and primaries. Then they didn't have enough money to spend on the general election, which is, I think, a major reason why there were underperformances in the House in 2022. And the imaginary red wave that was supposed to come didn't come. It has to do with these these guys are so terrified of, you know, MAGA candidates, America First candidates, having the men that they just are willing to do and spend anything to keep them out. But the thing is, money is actually diminishing in power, I think, right now in politics. We, the people, are all, like, I, the majority of Republicans 
Republicans and conservatives back these candidates. So you have these self-funders or all this like corporate money come into races and, and the voters have gotten savvy enough to say, I don't know, we don't we don't fall for this, but it is such a waste of resources. The Democrats don't do this. They don't even have primaries on their side. They anoint their people yep. and just like select them. And, and so they just save all of their money and raise for general elections. Not to mention, they also have a just onslaught, a ridiculous war chest that they are running money through 501c3s and c4s outside of these super PAC campaign committees. And Republicans have no apparatus like that. So we are just getting massively outspent in general elections. And it's definitely it's a it's a problem. Um, and hopefully that's why the people don't talk about this with the McCarthy thing of what a big win Mike Johnson was, is I would hope and imagine that Mike Johnson is now the head of, you know, our our Congress and also probably very influential within CLF is yeah. not going to allow that money to be wasted against MAGA candidates and primaries. No, it was big that he came out and endorsed President Trump on yep. Fox Business this morning. And uh, we're looking forward to seeing. I think Speaker Johnson's done a better than admiral job the first couple of weeks in. He knew this CR was going to come and be a pain in the ass heading into the holidays. But we let our listenership know what it's all about. No one wants to work during Thanksgiving and Christmas. It's just the time in between those dates that they better be getting those appropriation process done. If we get to yeah. January and are still in the same spot we're in now, that's when the time for the negative feedback well deservedly should be you know directed at the speaker but i think it doesn't sound like he's moving in that direction and i'm confident that he's going to continue to do the strong job that he's done since he's grabbed the gavel from uh kevin mccarthy caroline last thing i want to touch with you on probably super big to our listenership carrie lake was a staple here on steak for breakfast during the 2020 midterm election cycle she was on the show roughly 20 times she gave us some of the best interviews that you know she gave anywhere else sometimes up to 30 minutes talking about her family her backstory her history we are so excited to see her in the senate race we know you're doing some senior advising for her along the campaign trail here give us an update as you know carrie set to join us we talked to ross recently she'll probably be coming in at some point in december to give our listenership a little bit of insight onto her platform and what she's got going on in arizona but let's hear it from you as well Sure. She is just, I think, the biggest treasure and talent in the Republican Party. It is uh, disgusting what they did to her. I mean, to, just completely shutting down Election Day and yeah. the governor's race. But I get I, I see they had to. They're t so terrified of her. They can't have her in office because she is bought and beholden by no one. And so as we she's been fighting these cases, fighting so hard, she's in four lawsuits. But at some point, you know, it's uh, not having Carrie Lake's name on a ballot is actually a mistake. And I think that she would make a tremendous United States senator. And one of the things that kind of sealed her deciding to go do this was watching Tommy Tuberville. I mean, as a freshman senator, there's not a lot that you can do and go and pass. You can have all these great ideas, but you, you know, you get stuck in red tape, different things. But for Carrie, there's a lot you can stop as a United States senator. People don't realize that. And so Tommy Tuberville having the courage to, you know, stand up like that, just show Carrie, there's so much that you can do to go and stop. And then also if Trump's going to get back in and he's going to need allies and fighters in the Senate and in Congress. And so what better fighter to have helping carry President Trump's agenda in the United States Senate than Carrie Lake? So the race is off to a really good start. It's a three-way race as of right now. Cinema has absolutely no path to victory. Um, and she, you know, switched to an independent. Ruben Gallego is a far leftist. He's running as a Democrat. Cinema has not said if she's going to run for re-election again or not. I kind of think she isn't going to. I think she probably goes to some hedge fund or something like that. Sure. There's some uh, different views as to if it helps or hurts to have a three-way versus a head-to-head. -head. I'm not spending too much time analyzing that because it's out of our control. But a poll just came out from the Chamber of Commerce that shows Carrie Lake up in the three-way. Uh, I, I, I think I lean a little bit more towards preferring a three-way, but I still think that she'll win in a head-to-head. -head, and I think that really there's no path to the White House that doesn't run through Arizona and yep. really 51 seats in the Senate. So Carrie Lake has to win. Donald Trump has to win. That's a rock star ticket right there. And we just need to shore up our elections in Arizona. What an absolutely fantastic way to make your first appearance on Steak for Breakfast for all our listeners here. Caroline, we're going to live link anything you've got in the show description today and then your social media handles, please. 
It is at Caroline Wren on Twitter, Instagram, Getter, True Social. She's the president of Blue Bonnet Fundraising. She's also a senior advisor to Carrie Lake. As you guys just heard over the course of the last 15 minutes, she's doing a lot more work than that for the American people. This is the one and only Caroline Wren. Thanks for joining us on the show today. Thank you. Um, now let me turn to the subpoenas issued by House Oversight, and I think Judiciary as well, for the former White House counsel under Biden. What do you want from her? Well, number one, this I, I hats off to uh, James Comer and Jim Jordan. He oversees the Judiciary Committee for exposing the Biden crime family. It just continues to get worse and worse for this family and the entire administration with all the documents that we're getting through these subpoenas. So I think it's good. I think the timing is right. I think the American people are starting to realize that we do have a very corrupt family. Hunter Biden is a crook. Joe Biden benefited from his thievery. And, and it's just it's it's uh, it's time now for Congress to impeach uh, Joe Biden. But I just want to caution, though, too, I, I also want Joe Biden to be the nominee. I also want Joe Biden to be the Democrat nominee because Donald Trump is going to clobber him in November 2024. It's hard not to like the Texas Congressman Troy Nels, especially when he talks about laying out the receipts uh, on behalf of the Judiciary Committee, what he sits on, and still wanting to have Joe Biden be the nominee. Um, he sees and understands what the values and benefits are of playing the long game in the Republican House is right now. And, and I hope, you know, as our listenership kind of sees the story that we tell twice a week here and how it each episode kind of falls into the next, uh, you guys can start to realize it as well. I don't think anybody wants to see Alejandro Mayorkas and Joe Biden and Merrick Garland and Lloyd Austin, Mayor Pete, and, and everyone involved dragged out of their respective offices and handcuffs but the fact of the matter is it's just not the way it works in the real world. Um, it's only the way it works against people like President Trump. And if they're going to do these things that we want them to get done, especially with impeaching Joe Biden, we're going to have to do it the right way. Mm -hmm. And that's just the way life goes on. Uh, I wish I had a more optimistic or, or you know, rainbows and flowers views for you guys, but the Republicans got to play a little bit of the long game. Oh, well, the rainbows are a little touchy right now. Mm. How dare me. <laughs> He was obviously referring to a lot of the subpoenas that went out. Jim Biden, Hunter Biden. Yesterday I saw this one from Rep. James Comer's account. I'm issuing a subpoena to former White House counsel Dana Remus to appear before the GOP oversight deposition related to President Biden's mishandling of classified documents. POTUS may have kept sensitive documents related to his family's foreign business schemes. So that's how it kind of ties into the impeachment narrative there. Mm -hmm. How interesting of an angle would that be for the impeachment inquiry committee to unearth some of these documents that Joe Biden returned to NARA and find out that they are directly related to some of the illegal business dealings that his son Hunter was conducting over the course of over a decade. Which illegal business dealings? All of them. <laughs> no, it's, it's pretty crazy. And much is the atmosphere in and around the white house. I didn't tell you about this one, Noah, cause I wanted to see your actual, Shock factor when you heard it for the first time. But I did get a breaking news alert from Fox yesterday, and it was from one of our favorite White House press correspondents, uh. Peter Ducey, reporting outside of 1600 Pennsylvania Avenue. Let's hear how safe and secure the streets are outside the White House. Secret Service opening fire to protect President Biden's granddaughter. Peter? Yes, the carjacking and car stealing problem in Washington, D.C. has now extended to somebody with Secret Service protection. 
at 11.58 p.m. last night in Georgetown, which is about a mile and a half from where we're standing right now, uh, Secret Service officers who are assigned to protect Naomi Biden, that's President Biden's granddaughter, Hunter Biden's daughter, opened fire at three people who were trying to steal one of the Secret Service vehicles. We don't know exactly what kind of a car this was, but according to the Secret Service, who just sent us a statement, I... Secret Service agents encountered possibly three individuals breaking a window on a parked and unoccupied government vehicle. During the encounter, a federal agent discharged a service weapon, and it is believed no one was struck. The offenders immediately fled the scene in a red vehicle, and a regional lookout was issued to supporting units. That means that somebody tried to steal a Secret Service car from the agents that were protecting the president's granddaughter, and they got away. They're still out there. This morning, back to you. Wow, that's crazy. They, they got away. I can't believe they got away. But they, I can't believe they would target the president's granddaughter's car. They picked the wrong it's, car to break into. There are so many cars that are getting broken into in Washington yeah. D.C. It's possible, just based on the no volume, idea. that they had no idea. Yeah. But uh, if if they did know, uh, that's even more extraordinary. <laughs> Either okay. way, uh, these guys are out there in a red car. Right. Uh, with it, um, the if they got the car, I wonder if she had an Apple tag. That was that was the instruction. Get an Apple tag <laughs> and drop it in there. All right. uh, thanks so much, Peter. Uh, more. Uh... So let's let's disassemble that one a little bit. You want to recap? So an unoccupied vehicle mm-hmm. was being broken into by hoodlums. And they didn't specify whether there was an altercation or if somebody pulled a weapon. But just judging by how this was presented by the media, and granted it is Fox, so maybe it was presented to make the Biden administration look as stupid as possible, which is really easy to do. Sure. They fired... Social workers. Wait, what? Isn't that what you're supposed to do when you have... No, you're supposed to send social workers. Yeah, no, but they they the, <laughs> they fired their service weapons at somebody breaking into an unoccupied vehicle. Now... Devil's advocate, of course. Potentially, it could have been a Secret Service vehicle with weapons, body armor, and stuff like that. In the Highly back. classified materials, maybe if it's Joe Biden's case. Hunter Biden's dick pics. Mm. Bags of Skittles. Gotta have the Skittles. Costco size. There you go. Maybe not. Mm. Uh, it just sounds really bad. Awful. Also sounds like those Secret Service agents have a date at the range. <laughs> yeah. I mean... I. Okay, so that's the other thing. That was the other part of the disassembly that I hadn't gotten to yet because I forgot because I can't fucking keep a linear thought in my head recently. Happens to the best of us. They were far enough away where they missed, right? So by that rationale. But close enough to have deemed it safe to discharge said duty weapon, according to Peter Ducey. Yeah, And, and all credit goes to our Secret Service staff. Who you're protecting does not take away from your professional level. However, I would assume that they're not getting picked on their base level for that particular job. You mean they're not going to go to the shootout competitions now? <laughs> yeah, I don't know. That's, that's just wild. It just seems like that's a, you know, scare them off. I mean, were they warning shots? <laughs> do they do that in federal law enforcement? I don't think they're supposed to, but in I mean. residential neighborhood? They're saying it was outside of Georgetown University. Yeah, there's a lot of backdrop in there you'd probably have to be concerned about, like know your target, what's beyond it kind of stuff. I'm not going to lie. That was one of 
just think about all the stuff that's happened over the last three years. That was probably one of the most interesting minute and 49 seconds regarding the Biden regime that I've heard yet to date. Yeah. It's just in and out of the news cycle. So there's a lot of security cameras in that area too, right? Like that's probably one of the most viewed or documented areas, right? On the planet. On the planet. I would assume that there's video of this and it probably looks pretty terrible. If it's being swept under the rug, we'll have to uh, ask the J6 pipe bombers. Like, hopefully, <laughs> hopefully that that stray round that didn't hit anybody didn't go into Joe Biden's favorite ice cream shop. Mm. I'll take the chocolate, chocolate nine millimeter. There you go. <laughs> what a shit show. Much as like been the case up on Capitol Hill today. So we we started off the show by teasing a little bit. Apparently, Kevin McCarthy and Representative Timbershek got into a shoving match after Republican. <laughs> conclave today you know i think they should just they should battle it out they should give them boxing gloves and they should just be like all right y'all been talking a lot of shit you got 10 minutes to sort it out we'll get to that in a second yeah but you know apparently we we all talked to kingsley here on the show kingsley wilson now formerly cortez uh congratulations to her on her marriage congratulations but doesn't have the same ring to it Man, you should see all the America First incels who get in the comments every time Kingsley Cortez is on the show. It's it's awesome. So, and I always tell her how much our listenership loves you, and I always send like the gif of the guy going with the eyebrow raises, <laughs> and she's like, "Yeah, I know, I'm one of America First favorites." Nice. But, but in addition to that, you know, uh, she held or or I guess chaired an event last night for the DC Young Republican Clubs, one of our favorite adjacents, and Tim Burchett was a speaker, and when the topic of former speaker Kevin McCarthy came up. He referenced him as, and said jokingly, you know, I don't even refer to him as Kevin or, you know, representative McCarthy anymore. I just refer to him as Frank Luntz's boyfriend. Oh, that's brutal. Video went semi-viral last night. It was getting quite a lot of traction when I shared it. And Kevin McCarthy took it personally. I immediately, and I took that personally, (laughs) reached out to Kingsley and said, this guy is based. Let's get him on the show. She sent me the comm director's cell phone, so I'm going to call her after our episode today. We'll, we'll have Representative Burchette on soon to talk about it. But apparently when they came out of Republican meeting today, you know, Representative Burchette's talking to the media, and Kevin McCarthy walks past him and gives him, like, the old, I'm sticking my elbow out and walking through your back. And a shoving, Oh, he, he shoulder-pressed him? Yeah, and a, a little shoving match Wow, ensued. But that's not – that was the undercard for what would be the main event. Mm-hmm. In committee today, the Senate Help Committee, chaired by none other than one of our favorite impersonations that Noah does here on the show, Bernie Sanders. <laughs> Apparently, there's been some shit posting on I'm Twitter. Once again, asking for you to be- behave yourselves in Congress. <laughs> the Teamsters president, Sean O'Brien, has basically been shit posting Oklahoma Senator Mark Wayne Mullen for quite some time on social media. Said Teamster leader would be before Senator Mullen in the help committee this morning. And we've got the main event. Let's hear it. Knows this here in the last time, <laughs> him and I kind of had a back and forth. I uh, appreciate your demeanor today. It's quite different. But after you left here, you got pretty excited about the keyboard. In fact, you tweeted at me one, two, three, four, five times. And let me read what the last one said. Um, it said, Greedy CEO who pretends like he's self-made. Sir, I wish you was in the truck with me when I was building my plumbing company myself. 
and my wife was running the office because I sure remember working pretty hard and long hours. Pretends like he's self-made. What a clown. Fraud. Always has been. Always will be. Quit the tough guy act in these Senate hearings. You know where to find me. Any place, mm. any time, mm. cowboy. You can hear Bernie Sanders breathing in the so microphone. The He's ready to interject. Place. If you want to run your mouth, we can be two consenting adults. We can finish it here. Oh, okay, that's fine. Perfect. You want to do it now? I'd love to do it right now. Well, mm. stand your butt up then. You stand your butt up. Oh, hold on. Oh, oh, stop it. Is that your solution? Every poll. No, no, sit down. And here comes Bernie Sanders. No, no, you're a United States Senator. Active. Okay. Sit down, please. All right. Can I respond? Hold it. Hold it. If we can, no, I have the mic. I will pull the capital over and make you walk home. Can I respond? No, you can't. No, you can't. This is a hearing. And God knows the American people have enough of contempt. But Congress, let's not I don't make like it worse. Thugs and you, you have the, and you have I don't the like you because you just described yourself. Yeah, hold it. You have yeah. the mic. Yeah. You have time. All right. So <laughs> there was that. <laughs> uh, that's amazing. It's like all the best parts of British Parliament. Yeah. Parlayed into sometimes when we see like some obscure African nations Congress. Yeah, just fucking going at it. Delvage into chaos. <laughs> like, the only thing's missing is just Bernie Sanders just jumping with the flying elbow. I do want to... He'd probably shatter on the ground, but whatever. I do want to give a tale of the tape. Mark Wayne Mullen has a 5-0 and professional mixed martial arts fighting record. He's got a 5-0? And he was inducted into the Oklahoma Wrestling Hall of Fame where he was a high school and state champion oh yeah you don't fuck with wrestlers man it doesn't matter you think you can punch people just wait till they get you on the ground you're done people are already starting to make (laughs) a big deal out of this now i'm seeing tweets out of some of the congressional staffers and those who cover them saying like what is it going to take to get him and jim jordan on the mat together we all know that jim jordan is is a collegiate hall of famer Mm -hmm. undefeated record two-time ncaa champion and i i quickly interjected there and said guys i don't know how big they are but i'm looking at Mark Wayne Mullen right now, he is a lot thicker than Jim Jordan. There are weight classes here. We are not playing games like UFC where, like, some 90-pound guy could go up a 300-pound beast. It's ma'am. Remember when UFC was coming up and they used to find, like, the biggest, fattest fuck sumo wrestler on the planet and Mm -hmm. they'd get him to fight, like, some Irish bar fighting champion who was, like, 5'6", 130 pounds. Destroyed. Oh, it's crazy. So, And and there's just a little bit of, of craziness going on up on Capitol Hill today. We love it. But at the same time, it's uh, it's making for a little good podcasting. We're gonna we're gonna start the steady decline down now before we come back up on the Meatball Express. Former congressman, mm. CNN commentator, Adam Ukraine flag Kinzinger. Oh come on, is that even a thing anymore? Lent an endorsement. One of my neighbors still has a flag up. I'm like, what are you doing to somebody in the 2024 presidential race? He did what now? Gave an endorsement yesterday. Oh good. It wasn't for President Trump. Let's hear the former Republican House member. What do you assess the third party movement, uh, who, if there is another candidate, uh, knowing that these presidential elections are made state by state? What's your analysis? I'm worried because, look, I, th- I love the idea of a third party. I love the idea of a centrist party. It has to start in the House of Representatives before it goes to the president. Now, here's the deal. I think Donald Trump's base of support is very firm. I don't think you're going to peel anybody off of Donald Trump into something else, right? 
there are people like me, not me, but like me, that don't agree with everything Joe Biden does, but would vote for him as opposed to Trump. If you give them an out, you give them a Joe Manchin or somebody, they'll vote for that person. And you may be like, and, and I would say this too, like, good, vote your conscience. But the problem is the consequences of a Donald Trump victory are so dire that I think you have to hold your nose and vote for somebody maybe you don't like because we can survive four more years of Joe Biden. I'm not sure we can survive four years of Donald Trump. Are you out of your mind? You sure about that? You sure about that? No, there's no fucking way we can survive another four years of this. Can you imagine four more years of just unimpeded flow of everybody on the goddamn planet into the United States? We're going to get to the point where they don't want to come to the United States anymore, which is already happening, by the way, where migrants are saying, there is no American dream. I want to go home. That's how it's going to be. You get four more years of this fucking asshole. Holy shit. You talk about the elitist nature of some of these people who... They don't live in the fucking real world. How do you just look at what's happening in the world and still maintain this bullshit, fucking psychopathic, weird... Oh, it's it's so dumb. I'm so glad you led me in with that unscripted lead-in, Noah. <laughs> Let's hear the former press secretary. Oh, geez. <laughs> and yet, the hand-wringing and cocktail party speculation <clears throat> about an alternative to Joe Biden is continuing, will continue. Guess what? Joe Biden isn't perfect. No candidate is, by the way. It's almost the but we exact have same to understand rhetoric. what the alternative is here. If elected to a second term, Donald Trump would prosecute anyone he deems an enemy, hmm. unleash troops on protesters, enemies of America, and essentially yeah. unravel the rule of law as we know it. Nah, and this time, he plans to line his administration with people who will actually help him do it. Good. But sure, Joe Biden is three years older and occasionally trips over things. Look, there's a lot to be concerned about right now That's when it, it comes to a second Trump term. The speeches are getting much more disturbing and much more unhinged, and we should all hear it that way. No, they're awesome. Mm. How, yep. The, he can't win. There's no way that they can put all their fucking eggs in that basket unless they are depending wholly on him getting locked up, thrown in prison, or executed. You know, Stephen Chong who's uh, part of the inner circle of the Trump campaign, he issued a statement directly responding to the former press secretary. Uh, it comes from some commentary she was feeding off of that was in an article that was produced in The Messenger. In a statement to The Messenger, Trump spokesman Stephen Chong said the Biden campaign must be confused like their own candidate because Biden is in a constant state of confusion, shuffling around like a Roomba and, <laughs> and falling on his ass in front of the American people because he's weak and frail. But even more damaging to Biden is that he's just plain stupid. He doesn't have the intelligence to lead a junior high book club, let alone the entire country anymore. Ow. Hey, listen. That's brutal. I think Stephen Chong's a former, a former professional wrestler. <laughs> I wouldn't fuck with him either. Yeah. You know, and, and it just, man, these people, they're, they're really just pumping that narrative. I saw Jack Smith this week. You know, Donald Trump is trying to get his January 6th hearing televised. And Jack Smith is pushing up against it because we all know it's a sham hoax and, and witch hunt. Mm -hmm. Jack Smith laid in his argument not to televise the event, Noah, by citing former cases. Now, I'm going to tell you, what is the correlation here before these former cases? United States versus Sarnoff, Masawi, and McVeigh. McVeigh? Yeah. They're all fucking terrorists. Yeah. Jack Smith is comparing the last president of the United States who is more than likely to be the next president to the United States to actual domestic terrorists to Timothy McVeigh, the Sarnoff brothers 
and Musawi. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I guess some of the good news piggybacking off of this for President Trump is his he has going to see his poll numbers going up a little bit higher. There was an announcement on a Boomer Sweat Jr., Trey Gowdy show on Fox News Sunday night from a South Carolina senator. Let's hear this. If you ever want to love your country more, run for president. Traveling this country, meeting people has been one of the most fantastic experiences of my entire life. I love America more today than I did on May 22nd. But when I go back to Iowa, it will not be as a presidential uh, candidate. Mm. I am suspending my campaign. I, I think the voters uh, who are the most remarkable people on the planet have been really clear that they're telling me uh, not now, Tim. I don't think they're saying, Trey, no, but I do think they're saying not now. And so I'm going to respect the voters and I'm going to hold on and keep working really hard and uh, look forward to another opportunity. So big gay Tim Scott's out. And he takes with him his anywhere between 3 and 7% polling nationally. Mm-hmm. And we should see a small bump in President Trump's numbers. This is falling directly into the way that I've seen it planning out. Tim Scott's going to endorse no one or until the primary season is over, I think he's going to get behind Nikki Haley and try to consolidate the power in South Carolina. Maybe as a way to stomp out Vivek Ramaswamy or Ron DeSantis. We'll hear on both of them in just a second. But I don't think Tim Scott is going to come out immediately and endorse Donald Trump in this race. However, I would gladly accept being wrong in this situation. Yeah. I want to remind everybody, last call, wherever you're listening today, Apple, Spotify, Google Podcasts, or iHeartRadio, guys, please make sure you're following the show and that it's downloading to your electronic device. We don't ask you for a dime. We just ask you to follow the show. What that does is help us out in the podcast suggestions, the overall algorithms, the Apple Top 100, et cetera. It helps us be more prevalent and gives us the ability to amplify your voice through our show. That's the only thing we gain out of Steak for Breakfast here. Then, of course, on social media, Twitter, Getter, True Social, and Instagram. Find the Steak for Breakfast accounts, follow them, and hit the notification bell. Round and third here, Noah, coming home. I did tease it. I do want to play you that little bit of a snippet from Saturday Night Live. It's a short clip of how they paid homage to Ron DeSantis' campaign so far. Let's check it out. And look who they got playing Meatball Ron. One of the Destroy Boys. Ron's watching it. I'm like, who the hell is that? Poor Ron DeSantis. Even SNL doesn't think he has a chance. If they did, it'd be like Paul Rudd or something in there, right? (laughs) Wow. Man. It's going to be a long rest of his life for the soon-to-be former governor of Florida, Ron DeSantis. Um, I also want to remind everybody, we're going to be sitting down with Nevada 3 House candidate. She's running for a U.S. House seat. Elizabeth Helgeline in just a second for the first time. And it's going to be great unfolding and unpacking her platform for all of you guys to hear. She was the youngest state senator in the history of Nevada. She was a firebrand there, and she's looking to take the same mentality and America First Values up to Capitol Hill next year. So we're going to start running her through the show, let her kind of talk about you know her backstory and what her deal is, lay out a little bit of her campaign platform, and then we'll continue to track as we do with all the other candidates. I believe we got Jaron Majewski coming in here on Friday, so nice. that's always a good time. Just about done here before we jump in with Elizabeth Hageline, but I do have our last audio clip of the day. It comes from News Nation last night. We're on the heels of his debate, 
where he didn't get much of a bump, but still continues to speak truths. Presidential candidate Vivek Ramaswamy, absolutely unpanting Fredo Cuomo on his own show, much like he did to the moderators in the RNC debate, for all to see. Let's check it out. Why do you keep going at Nikki Haley? Why do you think this is going to bear fruit? Chris, I don't know what you've been smoking, man. You and the rest of the mainstream media, it's laughable. Nikki Haley's been going after me the whole campaign. First debate, second debate. You know, she's been trailing me for much of the time, but I realize the establishment media has realized that there's a puppet they want to put up. I'm not playing that game. The grassroots of this country know they want a leader who isn't going to send us our sons and daughters to go die in foreign wars that racked up $7 trillion in debt. Dick Cheney 2.0 yeah. taken over the GOP. Oof. Problem is the Democratic establishment media is now rooting for war, too. Mm-hmm. I'm the only candidate speaking for a true America first agenda yeah. on that debate stage, and I oh, think okay, we're going to be successful. Vivek, how are you going to bring people together when you just uh, put yeah. together a tapestry of conspiracies? You know that I'm not pitching anything about Chris, Nikki what, Haley. What are you she talking about? There's no tapestry. She won't even come on there's my no show. Tapestry what are you talking about, Pepe? I'm sure she doesn't. Second. Hold on a second. <laughs> I let you. I let you put it out there, and now you know I get to finish smoking, and uh, now I get to answer, which is, um, oh, this is what the media is doing is putting up Nikki Haley it's against me because the they know I'm doing. the real they, deal. Picked. Please, she That's, hasn't even been on my the, show. Picked, Chris, I'm just please. watching you get you know slapped what? I, around I, I by her, Kristen and I'm Wilker. wondering what I, your strategy you know, is. The fact of the matter is, Chris, that my strategy is calling out the mainstream media like I did to Kristen Welker at the start of that debate. I asked her about the Trump-Russia collusion hoax, told her to look the audience in the eye and apologize to them. Just like I'll tell you, you're part of the mainstream media dis- despite pretending like you're not. Oof. Look the audience in the <laughs> eye and well, tell them you covered media. brother. For all that happened, I'm part of the mainstream media. Hey, listen. And you play the same games that the rest of the mainstream media does. You don't want to take care of your family. That's fine. You've been, you have been, you have been covering for your brother. You have been playing a game. You were kicked off Of course, I cover for my brother. Of course, I help my brother. Yeah, of course I do. You know what? That's been journalistic standards that have now been failed, not just by you, but by every member of the broken political media. So yes, it is going to take an outsider to call it out. And you want to look Everyone at Everyone in the media well, mo- most is the- responsible for covering okay. for my brother? See what I'm saying? You, 90%, you miss, 90% you of the media the is colluding by with going respect too broad. to pushing one, one answer Vivek. on the American public for the origin of COVID-19 which is what? to the Hunter Biden laptop story what to now which people do? they decide they want to put up as their puppets what to take on Donald Trump. What does any of that have to do? Of the matter. Look. Man, Fredo wanted to take more of a moderate take when he went over to news nation Mm. as one of their, you know, he's like their national interviewer and man, Vivek just completely undressed him and called him out for covering up for, you know, his brother, Andrew, the governor during COVID Mm. parlayed that into some highlights. He had from the debate calling out Kristen Welker for propagating the Russiagate hoax and saying that, even though a lot of people don't see it as anything helpful in regards to his campaign, he's not getting a fair shake on the campaign trail. Now, that's his opinion, and he's more than likely to push it any way he can. But at the end of the day, listen, I think everybody from Fredo to Vivek, even Bird Brain Nikki Haley knows this was President Trump's primary to lose. And the fact of the matter is, once he hit the campaign trail and got rolling, there was never going to be a question we play clips like this to just show you some of the continued bias, and it's not just necessarily tied to President Trump. I think because Vivek has kind of ran as an outsider and Trump-adjacent in a lot of his policy platform, the media is kind of treating him in the same way. 
But in the big scheme of things, again, Donald Trump achieving more than a 50-point lead in the uh, last national poll that came out yesterday speaks volumes for itself. So yep. we're, we're getting ready to wrap here and jump in with Nevada House candidate Elizabeth Helgeline. But before we do that, let's check in one more time with one of our partners. I think it's time we had a conversation about a good night's sleep. Pillow King of Minnesota, Mike Lindell, and the apparatus known as the MyPillow family has been cranking out savings down at MyPillow for over 20 years. And for the first time in 20 years, they've changed the long-standing MyPillow and now have the MyPillow version 2.0. You enter promo code STAKE at checkout, you're going to get buy one, get one free. In addition to that, they've got great savings on all things like MyPillow dog beds, the Air Lindell version 1 and 2, My Slippers, and Giza Dream Everything. If you're more of a morning person, they've launched My Coffee. It's available in the bean, the bag, and the pod. When you need a promo code STAKE here, you're going to get 25% off your order or 50% off when you make it a monthly subscription. MyPillow.com forward slash steak for anything sleep related. If you want the coffee, MyStore.com forward slash steak. Or you can always talk to a qualified pillow representative. 1-800-658-8045. All right, joining us next on the show today as we continue on with our 2024 candidate series here on the Steak for Breakfast podcast. She's running to make Nevada 3 great again. We're really excited to be sitting down for the first time with Elizabeth Helgeline. Thanks for joining us on the show. Thank you so much for having me, guys. I appreciate it. Well, this is the first time you've been on. It's definitely not going to be the last, as we do a pretty good job of tracking all the candidates through the election cycles every couple of years. So before we get started on anything regarding the candidacy and your campaign so far, why don't you tell our listenership a little bit about yourself and your family? Uh, so I'm a wife, a mother, a business owner, and a proud American. Uh, at the young age of 27, I actually made history as the youngest female ever elected to the Nevada State Senate. Um, I defeated a 15-year uh, rhino incumbent by 15%. He had all the name recognition, all the money and all the establishment support, but I had the people support. Then I went on to beat the millionaire Democrat in the primary by 5%. Uh, well, technically it was 5% upside down. Then I beat him by an additional 5%. So I guess it's technically 10%, but who's counting, right? Mm. I even beat him in his own precinct. So my main focus has always been representing the people. And that's how I was able to do it. It's the same, virtually almost the same lines as this congressional district was my state Senate district I previously held. So, I mean, you know, it's just going out and meeting the people. They know that I'm genuine. They know that I'm principled. I'll tell you, one of the best compliments I ever got was actually from one of the liberal Democrats in my, in my district. And he said, Elizabeth, I do not agree with you on policy, but I always know where you stand. And that's why I'm voting for you. And that's the kind of leadership we need. Somebody who's actually principled, somebody who actually does what they say they're going to do. So I know I I was elected and did exactly that. And now I can go back to the people of my district and say, this is how you elected me. This is how I served. And I'm going to do it again. You know, before the 2022 cycle, we were in and out of Nevada a little bit, but we really got into it. Your current governor, 2022's senatorial candidates, were all guests on this show. We we ran through a couple House seats as well. And, you know, one of the biggest things we've heard pretty much across the board, and you could probably attest to this a little bit being in the Nevada State Senate, it wasn't always one of those states up until recently, let's just say since Joe Biden took office, where the economy was as bad as it was, where the unemployment was so high, where things from the open border, like the corridors that have opened up via human trafficking and the fentanyl crisis, where the increase in crime has kind of exploded there. You know, you never used to see Nevada in the top five states of gas prices in the country. Now you guys are regularly there. 
And, and it seems like the, the policies that are coming down from Washington, D.C. right now are having a direct effect on that state for the first time in a long time. Can you tell our listenership a little bit about, you know, especially from being in the state Senate, what the picture on the ground looks like out in Nevada right now? Yeah, absolutely. It's, I mean, everything that you just said is, is absolutely the truth and, and, and the case. So the people here care about inflation. We care about securing the border. We care about uh, crime. Everybody wants to be safe and we are no longer safe. I mean, we have a governor who's in office right now who used to be our former sheriff and we are not safe. What does that tell you about that leadership? We have to make sure that we secure our border, which again, you talked about fentanyl that's flooding over. I have a friend who uh, buried their 23 year old daughter because of fentanyl. Uh, My family has had to deal with human trafficking. These are real issues that are affecting people. Uh, And, you know, talk about inflation. We have people who are struggling to pay their bills, to put gas in their in their tanks, to decide which bills they can pay and, and what if they can afford to put food on the table. I mean, these are real struggles. Locals here, Nevadans, cannot even afford to buy a home because of the interest rates and, and uh, the inflated prices of homes. It's it's a travesty. I never thought in a million years my state or, or our country would look like this. Now, when you talk about running for a house seat out of Nevada, you obviously are pretty dialed into everything that's been going on up on Capitol Hill. You saw the failed speakership of Kevin McCarthy. Obviously, he was motioned to vacate you know, a little over a month ago. And now we move into Mike Johnson's speakership, and it seems like the honeymoon period is kind of worn off. But there's still a lot of people on the America First side, uh, congressmen and women who are endorsing him and saying that, you know, for the amount of work and uh, the way he's been able to get ahead of so many of the issues that Mike Johnson has in just a few weeks – Kevin McCarthy didn't really address at all in the fact that, you know, he had the speakership for, you know, just around 10 months. Now, when you see the kind of uh, work that some of these congressmen and women are doing up there, where do you kind of identify with, you know, where you want to align yourself up policy wise? Are you going to be, you know, someone who goes in there and sees what's best for the party or someone that sees, you know, what's best for the country as a lot of them have come under fire for doing best of the country, but it seems like that, voice has grown a lot louder, especially since Mike Johnson has taken over and everybody's starting to feel comfortable again. Absolutely. You, you hit the nail on the head. It's, and really that's what the focus needs to be on. We are representatives, right? Well, I'm not currently elected, but our elected officials should be representing we, the people, and they're not doing that right now. We need more people who are elected, who are actually going to do the will of the people. Uh, It looks so far like uh, Speaker Johnson is doing that. So I definitely support him um, in the endeavor. You know, somebody who can actually bring everybody together. That's a huge. I was, when I was elected to the state Senate, um, I was in the minority, but I was able to have so much influence. I could go to a Democrat if I wanted a bill killed in my committee. I could do it if I was not able to. I even killed uh, the the chairman's bills. So if I wasn't able to do that in committee, I would try and kill it on the floor. If I wasn't able to, I'd go, guess what? To the lower house and i would always talk to democrats because again i was in the minority so but we have to represent the people that's the most important uh duty that we have is making sure the people's voices are heard and you you're absolutely right so many people are now becoming vocal and you know courage is courage is contagious right uh and so i know i've shown courage when i was in the state senate to stand up not just to the democrats but our weak republicans and i know i'm going to take that fight Uh, to Washington as well, because we need to make sure that the people are heard. Now, you uh, have been out on the campaign trail previously. Obviously, you're a state senator there in the 
in Nevada. But the fact of the matter is you're hitting the road a little bit harder and a little bit further now in regards to your candidacy for Nevada three, talk about what the people are telling you when you're out on the campaign trail and, and, you know, how well your platform is being received. It seems like it's very America first. We love that here on steak for breakfast. And, you know, we want to be able to support you as you get out there and uh, meet with the people and start whipping those votes. Yeah, absolutely. It's everybody has been absolutely amazing. Like I said, this is my old, uh, state senate district i used to hold uh, so i know a lot of people of course we stay busy even when we're not running for office we're always staying connected with our uh, with the people in our community so everybody's been absolutely great like i said inflation is absolutely the biggest the economy is is number one but well i say number one but then the border securing the border is also seems to be uh, just as equal to that but that's what everybody's telling me people uh, care about their their safety. We had two teens uh, who were killed uh, this last week here in Nevada, and that's absolutely disgusting. Should not be happening. So crime, we've got to get under control. We have to secure our border, and we have to fix our economy. And that's what everybody's talking about here, and really across the country with everybody I speak with. No, it certainly is. And how's the primary field shaping up on the Republican side right now? Yep. So I was the first person in my race. Uh, the establishment, of course, put um, a rhino uh, against me, an establishment candidate against me, who actually she endorsed uh, the Democrat Susie Lee in this race just a couple of years ago. So if that tells you the kind of Republican that she is, uh, she also uh, was ranked the most liberal Republican um, of our elected officials. Wow. So if that tells you the kind she's going to have some problems trying to get through that primary so um it's shaping up we're just keeping um our head down and and working and meeting the people the voters which which really matter and and that's what's what's truly important but yeah we've got a very interesting uh primary for people to to you know say that they're tired of being in the minority in the state house so now they want to run for congress so they can get name recognition so next election cycle, they can run for an executive seat. So I don't know. Right. I don't know. It doesn't seem very bold. Um, I think we need to, and really, this is probably our last chance, especially here in Nevada, where ranked choice voting is on the ballot this year, um, to really restore our state and restore our country. So we got to stop with the political games. We have to get back to the basics, get back to our constitution, and get back to the will of the people. No, it's 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 nuts the way when this show started out a little over five years ago now, the way we would track certain states and know that there was House candidates and, and senatorial candidates, even people running for the governorships that we would have to dial in on. And, and Nevada was always one where if we saw someone that was, you know, a person of interest, we'd, we'd kind of hone in on. But just over the last cycle and a half, it's been crazy to see how Nevada has been a state in decline. And a lot of the candidates who are running, especially on the Republican side, are continuing to point that out. I think there was a little bit of a reluctancy. Maybe they felt like there was a lot of candidates running uh, kind of as retribution to what happened to President Trump in 2020 to kind of, you know, stonewall a bunch of policies up in Washington, D.C. But I think this has played out exactly the way the Democrats have, have wanted it to up on Capitol Hill. And it's up to people who are running in these races like yourself to get up there and make things right next year. Elizabeth, we're going to be live linking your website in the show description today. We're also going to be providing everybody with your social media. So what can we list in our show description that people can check you out and, and find out what's going on on the road? Yep, everybody can go to my website, elizabeth4nevada.com. Help spread the word that we're the only person that can beat Susie Lee this November. Um, and any support that you can give us, if you can contribute, that would be a huge uh, help to get this um, to get us across the finish line. Um, you can go onto my social medias, Elizabeth4NV 
um, is my socials. I'm I'm on Twitter. I'm on all of them. So uh, please go and, and connect with me. I'd love to speak with you personally. Well, we got to get out here and support these candidates. We gave you guys a little insight onto one of the ones who's running in Nevada. Three seems like a pretty good candidate to me. What do you think, Noah? Absolutely. And we'll be looking to have another conversation with Elizabeth Helgeline. Thanks for joining us on the show today. Thank you so much, guys. I'll see you soon. Take care. Busy start to the business week here for the Steak for Breakfast podcast, but Listen, Noah, what can you say? We've been asking these guys and gals up in there to show a little fight for the last three years, and finally we've seen taking a, a little bit today. Taking it a little serious. <laughs> if you enjoyed this episode of the podcast and want to hear the now over 290 other editions of the show, make sure you're following us across every downloadable podcasting platform. That's on Apple, Spotify, Google Podcasts, and iHeartRadio. In addition to that, check us out on social media, Twitter, Getter, True Social, and Instagram. Find the Stake for Breakfast accounts. Follow them. Make sure you hit the notification bell. We want to thank all of our guests for coming down and sharing with us today. Congressman Tom Tiffany and Congressman Mike Collins, Caroline Wren for the first time, and U.S. House candidate out of Nevada, Elizabeth Helgeline. They all definitely helped make steak great again. Guys, I know it's going to be, well, looks like it's going to be a busy week, but don't fret. We'll be back on Friday with an absolutely jam-packed edition of the Steak for Breakfast podcast. We'll be sitting down with Representative Ben Klein, Former Chief of Staff to the DOD, PAPS enthusiast, Cash Patel, Abe Hamaday will be making his long-awaited return to Steak for Breakfast, and we'll catch up with Dillon Law Group attorney, Mr. Ron Coleman. On behalf of the pod team, I'm Roan. Noah? Later. Have a great rest of the week, and take care. The gutless wonder doesn't have to pitch. Why should I have to run? Who you call on a gutless wonder, Tin Man? Tin Man? I got a genuine leg injury here, pal. Yeah, that limp is the best acting you've done all year. But at least I don't have some cover girl dragging me around by my junts. What are you guys doing? This isn't nice. Stay away from me. Don't touch me. Come on. I'll show you a fight. Come on. I'll take on the whole thing. Come on. You don't know how to fight. Harry, wake up, Harry. Look, my God. Good news, fans. The Indians are showing signs of life for the first time in weeks. As a matter of fact, they appear to be beating the crap out of each other. It looks like Willie Hayes is trying to hit Rick Vaughn. And why not? Everybody else in the league does. He swings and misses. I don't know, Monty. It looks like Vaughn's carrying his left a little low. This could hurt him in the later.